Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. Good evening, good evening, good evening. Welcome to another session after so long. <laughs> My Sito baby's just right here, you know, cheering me on. I'm like, come on, you go, girl. <laughs> oh, what a blessed time this is. Um, Oh my God. Thank you, Hinai. This is the marriage glow. This glow, this is what marriage does to you. So just pray to God to provide your boo. <laughs> oh my God. What a serious story. What a, what a blessing it is to, to be here again and just to be here with us to fellowship and just learn at God's feet. Just learn at God's feet. For those of us who are here for the first time, every one of us here are here to learn. You know, I keep on saying every time that I am not the teacher. It is the Holy Spirit that teaches us. And as I sit here, I just allow myself to be a channel of his words to every one of us in this time. And we're all here to just learn and allow ourselves to be impacted by the Spirit of God. Are we ready, people? Are we ready for the impact? <laughs> Are we ready? <laughs> come on. Come on, people. Come on. Come on. So yeah, for those of us who are here for the first time, this is a lecture stroke conversation, right? So we're just going to begin the session with words that the Holy Spirit just begins to release. And as the conversation unfolds, there will be times for questions. There will be times for us to share our thoughts and comments. And it's just going to be an interaction all through. So I really hope that everyone who participates and we just have a good time learning God's presence and just, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I'm here for. You don't know. I don't know what to expect, but I'm just, I'm just, my heart is just open, just ready to receive whatever the Holy Spirit has for us. Ah, so yeah. <laughs> I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous. <laughs> you know, it is a blessing to just, um, to learn at the feet of God. And today we're beginning a very, very pertinent session, a very, very interesting topic that might go on for God knows how long. He will determine how long it will go for. And the name of this series is called The Christ. The Christ, the Christ, the Christ, the Christ, the Christ. I'm sure everyone here has heard of the name the Christ. And it's something, a name that we're all familiar with. It's something most of us grew up hearing, even people who didn't grow up hearing it in their homes. I mean, there's no one who hasn't heard the name Jesus Christ. It's more popular than Michael Jackson. We know that. <laughs> and we're here to talk about the Christ. And it's a very powerful foundation to begin from because everything that God is going to teach us in our time in our generation is going to stem from a very solid understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what it means to us as individuals and what it means to us as a collective. The Christ, the Christ, the Christ. First of all, you know, like we said so many times, for those of us who have been here for some time, the Bible is a spiritual book. And it's a book that was written by spiritual people. And even though there are many natural accounts, many natural stories and tales and, you know, parables, 
every single thing has a spiritual significance that is pointing to something beyond the text. As I said many times, the Bible is like a gateway. It's like a bridge that grants us access into the divine. The people who wrote the Bible, who wrote all those books, they wrote it from a particular dimension. They wrote it from a particular place, a particular space. And the only way they could invite us into that dimension that they were writing from is by encapsulating all that experience they have and had of God into that artistic representation of writing, of stories, of dramas, and everything that they have experienced in God, everything that they've known, they encapsulated it within the stories in hopes that when one approaches these books, these stories, in the spirit of truth, in deep desire to see and understand God, they might gain access into that dimension that they wrote from. So that's exactly what we're here to do in this moment. Whenever we say we're coming to study, it's not just about reading of something that may or may not have happened 5,000 years ago. It's not about reading about just what someone said. It's about getting access into the dimension of his presence. Because the Bible is a bridge. The Bible is a doorway. The Bible is a gate. Amen? Amen, people? Follow Amen. 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 So let's, let, us, let us first of all start with the word Christ. Because as we've, talk, as we've spoken about many times, every word used in the Bible doesn't just talk about a physical thing, but also has a spiritual representation. And when we understand the name of a thing, the name gives us greater access into the nature of that thing and helps us understand what it really is. You know, we've given many examples before in the past. We talked about the name Moshe, which in English is called Moses. Who, know, who here knows the, what the, the meaning of the name Moses is? Who knows the meaning of the name Moses? Run out of water. So say that again, Dan. Run out of water. Now, how does that name? How does that name talk about his life? How does that name ex- like open up an insight into his life? Masking Dan. I hope you're not stuck. <laughs> Are you frozen? Oh, okay. Basically, the what fact is- that. Uh- since water represents life, and him being drawn out of water, it's like some form of baptism, I think. Yeah. Indeed, some form of baptism. And then in his own lifetime, he also brought a lot of people into that same baptism that he experienced. So his name was not just a name. His name was also his destiny. His name was also his assignment. His name was the essence of his being. You know, and there are many different names like that in the Bible. For example... Nimrod. How many of us know Nimrod in the book of Genesis? Nimrod. How many of us know Nimrod? The one who founded, who fa- yeah. Interestingly, the name Nimrod means rebellion. Rebellion or to rebel. And that's exactly what we saw manifest in his life. Rebellion. Rebellion against what? Rebellion, rebellion against the law of God, the statutes of God, the ways of God. And all throughout the Bible, when we study it very closely, very carefully, we see how each name that is used has some 
interesting relationship with the life of that person, with the thing or the activity that person is carrying out. So the name Christ is no different. And when we begin to look at the name Christ, it begins to give us a great insight into what exactly it is. First of all, as some of us may or may not know, the word Christ is not, is not a Hebrew word. The word Christ is an English word, and it's an English word that came from the Greek word Christos. How many of us know that? That the English word Christ is a transliteration of the Greek word Christos. How many of us know that? Yeah? All right. Idris says she knows that. Ishema says she knows that. Awesome. Awesome. I see we have some scholars here. All right. All right. All right. So the English word Christ is a, transli is a transliteration of the Greek word Christos. And the Greek word Christos is a transliteration of the Hebrew word Mashiach. 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 In English, when you translate the, the word Mashiach directly to English, it translates as Messiah. You know. But literally, when you want to look at the actual literal meaning of the name Mashiach, it means one who has been anointed, one who has anointing upon them. The word Mashiach is from the word Mashiach, which means to pour oil on someone, to pour oil on something. And why did I begin with this point, you know? Helping us to see that in the Bible, the Messiah, the Mashiach is associated with oil. Because when all throughout our growing up, you know, some of us grew up in the church, some of us grew up around the church, some of us grew up hearing Bible stories, parables, tales, and things of the like, and when we hear the name Jesus Christ, what comes into our minds? I'm asking. When you hear Jesus Christ, what image comes into your mind? What enters into your mind? I'm asking. Who can tell me? When you hear Jesus Christ, what comes into your mind? What image comes into your mind? A white man on the cross. White man with long hair. Him on the cross. You know, maybe someone sitting on a stone with a red and blue robe, you know, different pictures, you know, that we've, that we've rejoiced at a humble looking man. The different pictures that have been used to represent, you know, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And every time we think of Jesus Christ, the first thing we think about is someone who existed 2000 years ago in flesh and blood. And when we hear Jesus Christ, the first picture that comes into our mind is a pictorial representation of a person who existed 2,000 years ago, you know. And most of the Christian doctrine was actually built on that, you know. I mean, I mean the, the, the conventional Christian world today evolved out of the Catholic Church, you know. And the Catholic Church was very pictographic. You know, if you go into their cathedrals, you see the stained glass, you see the statues, you see the paintings, very glamorous. You know, most, most um, Catholic churches that were built in that time, most of them had a very majestic statue of Jesus Christ on the cross above their altar. You know, they had the stained glass. They had so many statues all over the place. They had statues of Mary. They had statues of the apostles. They had statues of his baptism with John. They had so many pictographic representations. 
And because, because there were so many pictographic representations of God, over the years, people became much more identified with the physical representation of Christ that was presented to them to the point that they forgot about the spirit. How many of us can testify to that? And there are many people who will say, oh my God, I know Jesus Christ. I know Jesus Christ. Look at a picture of him on my mobile phone. I know Jesus Christ. But when you look at exactly what comes out of them, it's almost as though I don't see how you can know such a person if you're acting this way. If you're manifesting these kind of characteristics, if you're manifesting these kind of qualities, true or false people? True or false? True. So there are many people. True. There are, indeed. There are many people who have pictures of the beautiful man with long curly hair, with a blue and white robe. Some have pictures of a beautiful looking man on a cross in their home. Some have it on their mobile phone. Some have a lot of things. Some even have all the scriptures that they read, 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 read. And they look at all these physical pictographic elements. And because of these things, they say, I know the Christ. They say, I know the Christ. But then one begins to ask, what is the fruit of that knowledge? Because in the Bible, when we talk about knowledge, when we talk about knowing something, the word knowledge or knowing in the Bible is associated with the sexual intercourse. For example, in the book of Genesis, we see how it said that Adam knew his wife and she bore Cain. We see also in the book of Matthew, when the angel appeared to Mary and said she was going to give birth to a child, she was like, how could this be when I've not yet known a man? Right? Because knowledge, as far as the Bible is concerned, relates with intimacy. It relates with union. It relates with the binding. And wherever there is a union, wherever there is a binding, there will be fruit. There will be fruit. There will be a manifestation, you know. Because just the way a tree bears fruit by its relationship with the soil, we also are supposed to bear fruit by relationship with God. And the intercourse that we have with the Holy Spirit, the words that he begins to speak into our heart, is supposed to birth something out of us. And that's why that birthing is called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we see a person who is lacking of the fruit, how then can there be knowledge? And that's the first question to ask ourselves. Because many, many a times we will say, oh my God, I know Jesus so much. I know Jesus so much. I know Jesus so much. But knowledge is always associated with fruit. The fruits that come out of our being, and it's something to take note of, and we can write it down. The fruits that comes out of our being is a testament of what we know. The fruit that comes out of our being is a testament of what we know. Before I begin to unpack that statement, who can explain it for me? The fruit that comes out of our being is a testament of what we know. Who can explain that for me whilst we're here? Who can explain that? Feel free to raise your hand. The fruit that comes out of the being is a testament of what we know. All right, Ishima, go ahead. 
All right. So um, the fruit that we produce from the knowledge we have means that when we know better, we can do better. Like if you know how to make um, rice, for example, and you know how to make rice very well, your rice will always come out well because you know how to make it. Indeed, indeed. Indeed, exactly, exactly. I love that example. Tureto, what about you? Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Um, the, the only, I think, analogy I can um, bring forth is, um, as you know, in I guess in contrast to, you know, the food of the spirit, you know, um, where there's no such, right, where there's fear instead, um, if you, if I guess if someone's more, has been more intimate with fear someone will fear more the fruit of that is defensiveness you know the fruit of that is um maybe isolation as well because you know your yes. your, your god is always up um paranoia you know it's overthinking anxiety so yeah your god is paranoia exactly exactly and what comes out of you is a testament of who you know who you who you, who, you, who you know, literally, who you're intimate with. Thank you, that's awesome. Yetinde? Um, sorry, this is not Yetinde, but I'm okay. the one that raised up my hand. It's spicy. Awesome, awesome. Come on, spicy. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so um, when you said that, the first thing that came to mind was um, the scripture where um, Christ was saying that... Um, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth speaks. You know? And um, that, another scripture also came to mind again when you mentioned, when you said that was when um, Christ Christ speaking also said, um, it is not what goes into a man that corrupts a man, but what comes out of him that corrupts a man. So, you know, looking at these two scriptures together, it just simply means that it is as much of whatever it is that you know that has become a part of you, it is that you tend to produce as fruits that you tend to produce, you know, in, in every walks of life, you know, in every aspect of life. Whatever is coming out of you is what is already inside of you. That's what's coming out. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And finally, we're going to have Obie. Obie, go ahead. So I, for my own personal experience, there's just mm. something about coming into a revelation of truth that compels you to and as the revelation is that which leads us into an experience you know so it's more like a thing that i've seen a principle that i've seen uh, it's how we are wired the moment you come into a revelation of something it compels you to act towards that thing to, to birth forth the fruits towards that revelation indeed Awesome, 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 awesome. Everything we've all said is awesome. You know, the Bible is very, very poetic in nature, you know, and um, it's poetic because the writers of the Bible who are very spiritual understand how all things are connected. They understand how all things are related. And that's why men are likened onto dogs, men are likened onto eagles, Men are likened unto sheep. Men are likened unto goats. Men are likened unto trees. Because even though I am not a tree physically, even though I am not a goat, an eagle, or a sheep, it is possible for me to exhibit characteristics 
that are similar to the tree, the sheep, the goat, etc. True or false, people? True or false? True. Indeed, indeed, indeed. True. And even though I am not a tree, because the tree that was created was created with the same blueprint. I mean, it's the same spirit that made all of creation. So therefore, there will be a relationship. There will be a relationship between all creation, right? And the same way I, as a person, I'm able to continue my physical, well, I'll say my physical existence, but I'm able to continue my lineage through my children. Also, a tree continues its lineage through its children, the fruits, right? And it's as a result of its relationship with, well, the soil, the sun, and et cetera, and et cetera. So for fruit to be born, there has to be some relationship between something else. And the same applies to us as a people. The fruit that manifests out of us is a testament of who we have a relationship with, who we are in union with. For example, you could be in a crowd, maybe in a very massive concert, right? Who knows who it might be? You know, maybe Kanye West. I know that there may be some, you know, anyway. <laughs> maybe Kanye West or maybe Hillsong. Let's say Hillsong. <laughs> and then the environment is all hyped up and everything. And then they start to say, everyone, wave your hand to the left, wave your hand to the right. And the moment they say, wave your hand to the left, wave your hand to the right, that word that they are speaking is a seed that is entering into your heart, right? Now, when that seed enters into your heart, it begins to form thoughts inside of you that then produce the action of you waving your hand like this. Now, the moment you wave your hand like this, after they've spoken the word, that is what it means to bear fruit. Does that make sense to us? Does that yeah. make sense to us? Yes, sir. Yes, it Indeed. does. Indeed. So in Please that moment, that again. I should say it again. <laughs> okay. I said, imagine yourself in a crowd, like a, like a concert, right? Maybe a Hillsong concert or something like that, right? And the people on the stage are singing. And they're like, everyone, wave your hand to the left, wave your hand to the right. As they speak that word, that word is like a seed, right? Your heart is like a soil. The moment that seed enters into the soil of your heart, a kind of union is happening, right? A kind of intercourse is happening, right? You can look at your heart like an ovum, like a womb, and the word a person is speaking, like a sperm cell. When it enters into your heart, a kind of child is being formed, right? And the moment you now carry out the action they said you should do, you begin to wave your hand to the left, wave your hand to the right. In that moment, that is the fruit of your relationship with Hillsong at that moment. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah? In that moment, you can even say that, that your action is like a child of that intercourse. Because like I said, the way everything is related with everything, fruits, children, and all these things don't only relate to physical things. They also relate to spiritual things. They also relate to psychological things as well. You know? So who you know, who you have an intercourse with, determines the kind of fruit that begins to come out of you. So many of us get up and say, oh, I know Jesus, I know Jesus, I know Jesus, I know Jesus Christ, I know Jesus Christ. 
But then we ought to start to begin to look at the fruits that begin to come out of us. Because the fruits that come out are a testament of the one that we know. Because when we talk about Jesus Christ, like I said, the first thing we think about is the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first thing we think about is a statue of a person with curly hair, with blue and red robes. The first thing we think about is, I don't know, maybe a sheep or so, you know? Whereas Jesus Christ, when he came and, and preached, he spoke and he said, my words are spirit and they are life. And he even went as far as saying that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because our idea of love, our idea of, of knowledge of Christ, of the things of God, is completely different to how it's actually presented in the Bible. Because all the time, a lot of us have been raised thinking of Jesus Christ as just a physical person that existed a couple of years ago. But I dare say that the Christ is actually beyond that. The Christ is beyond personality. The Christ is beyond flesh and blood. The Christ is beyond what you can tangibly see and hold. He's beyond that. And that's why in that time, they really found it very difficult to understand this person. Because every time they looked at him, that is a physical person of flesh and blood, they couldn't reconcile the things he was saying with the physical person they were seeing in front of them. Because when they thought of the Christ, even they at that time made the mistake of thinking about a physical person. Now, the Christ can be a physical person, but his primary state, his essential state, is not physical. His essential state is spirit. His essential state, if we use contemporary terms, is energy. It's energy. It's a life force that comes before any physical manifestation. Now, when I say he's energy, what does it mean to say something is energy or someone is energy? When we talk about energy, the very basic definition of energy is something that causes another thing to move. Does that make sense? Energy is something that causes another thing to move. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Let me give you a simple example, right? When I talk about energy. So for example, for example, um, you're sitting down in a room, right? And someone walks in and maybe you're down at that time and they're just jumping with such, so much, you know, laughter, joy, happiness, like high emotional energy. And you who were down, the moment they came with that energy, right? And it entered into you. It started to cause you to move towards the happy state. Now you who were down, sad, ready to argue with anyone, ready to fight with anyone, all of a sudden, you just find yourself able to be kind, able to be, to, to be sweet, able to be generous, just because of the positive emotional energy that came to you. Now that act of kindness was powered by the emotional energy of joy. Do we understand that? Do we understand that? Yes. yes. Energy always causes something to move. And the kind of energy that is in play is identified by the kind of action that happens. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? 
So the very actions that we carry out are a testament of the kind of energy that is moving us. Because Christ, first of all, is energy. Christ, first of all, is spirit. The word spirit is of Latin origin. The word spirit is of Latin origin. And it's from the Latin word spire. Spire. And I've said it a number of times before for those of us who've been around. You know, it's from the Latin word spire. And the Latin word spire literally means wind or breath. You know, it means wind or breath. Now, why do they relate wind and breath to the spirit of God? Why do they relate it to energy? Who can tell me why? Based on how I said energy causes things to move. Why do they relate the spirit of God to energy, to wind, to spirit? Who can tell me? What is the relationship? What is the relationship? Teka, you want to say something? Because, um, yeah, because it is um, the spirit of God that causes man to move. It's, it's the spirit of God that is the core of man. I didn't quite hear you, Teka. You were breaking a little bit. Okay, Indeed. can you okay. hear me now? Oh. I can hear you now. Go on. Okay. I was saying that because it is the spirit of God that causes man to move. So the spirit mm. of God is, is the core of man's life. So that's why it is, it, it is connected. And then um, going to like the beginning and how that spirit was released upon man. And then, yeah. So how is that connected to the wind? What's the relationship between that and the wind is the question. Don't worry, you're in class. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so I think Just look that, at the chat. Um, look at the chat. Many people have spoken on this already. <laughs> okay. Well, go okay. on, go on. Anyway, a lot of people have said wind causes things to move. Another person said because you cannot see... The, I love this one so much. Because you cannot see the wind, but you can see the effect it causes. Awesome. Another person said wind has the ability to move things. It has the ability to move things and comes with its own energy. Awesome, awesome. Wind is not seen physically, but causes things to move. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Exactly. You all are very, very correct. Very, very correct. You can't see wind. If you say wind, where is it? You can't see it. You can only see the dust that the wind is moving. You can only see the leaves that the wind is blowing. You can only see the um, well, sand or whatever thing that wind blows. Let's say there's a hurricane, for example. You can't see the hurricane. You can't say, hey, this is hurricane. You can't see that. You can only see the cars that the hurricane is throwing around. All you can see is the effect. Because God is not an effect. I want us to understand this. God is not an effect. God is a cause. Well, my, the, the, my philosophical mind is beginning to argue with me that God is both cause and effect. But anyway, <laughs> you know, God is both cause and effect. But for the sake of this moment, <laughs> God is the cause of all things. He is the cause. He's the cause. He's the beginning. He's the progenitor. He's the thing that initiates the motion. That spirit. And that's what always comes before manifestation. Manifestation is secondary. Spirit is primary. For example, this table that I'm looking at in front of me 
is a manifestation. But before this table could be manifested physically, what had to happen first? Who can tell me? What had to happen first? Before the table was manifested into this physical form here, what had to happen first? Somebody had huh? to exert energy on a tree to cut it down. Well, and well, that's still physical. All that is still physical, beyond physical. Exactly the, the thoughts. Idea. The idea, oh, exactly. The idea. Now look at this word that is always associated with ideas. Inspiration. Have you heard that word before? Inspiration. Inspiration. Yep. Have you all heard that word before? Are you seeing the spirit in inspiration? Do you see it there? For those of us who know how to study languages, it's, listen, yeah. it's so important for us to learn how to begin to study languages. It's, you know, just make a habit of, you know, just studying etymologies of words, start to understand how words, how words evolved. Because words are just like people, you know, they have grandparents, they have grandchildren, they have cousins, you know, and you can find words that are related to one another, you know. So in the word inspiration, you have the word spire, which is breath which is spirit, and it relates with what enters into our minds, what enters into our hearts. And before a person can carry out an action in the physical world, there has to be some kind of inspiration. Not only, not only psychologically, spiritually, but also physically. Who can tell me the first thing a baby does once it's born? Who can tell me? What is the first thing a baby does when it's born? Right, right, Huh? Cry. No, something happens Cry before the tears. Something happens before the tears. Yes, it breathes. it breathes in air. Exactly. Now, when it breathes in air for the first time, the air that rushes into its, its, its body shocks it because it's, it's been used to you know, it had the umbilical, umbilical cord connected to the mother, and that's how it, co it collects all its nutrition, and it's inside water. So it, it was not really breathing. All the nourishment and survival was happening through the, the umbilical cord that connects it to the mother. But for the first time, when it comes out of the, the womb of the mother, it breathes in air, and the shock in the lungs causes it to cry, because it's like, what is going on with me? So even before that cry can happen, there has to be inspiration. There has to be energy because energy is the cause. Action is the effect. Are you guys understanding this? Or better said, motion is the effect. Are you guys understanding this? Energy must first happen. Inspiration. And that's why we see how it's not only associated with physical things, it's also associated with spiritual things. It's not only just associated with tangible things, it's also associated with intangible things. Because as we said so many times, man does not exist on only one dimension of existence. Man lives on many layers of existence. Man lives physically, man lives psychologically, man also lives spiritually. And in all those dimensions, before there can be any action, there has to be inspiration. And energy must move you. There can't be motion without energy. Before your car can move, it needs fuel. So wherever there's motion, energy must be there. If I stand up now and push my table, right? 
for the table to move. That is kinetic energy in motion. Now, before I can move my hand, there must be energy of calories in my body. Before there can be energy of calories in my body, I have to eat food that brings out those calories. Before I can eat that food, <laughs> energy must come from the sun to make the grass grow. Are you guys getting my point? Are you seeing how all motion is rooted in energy that happens first? Even you standing up, for there to be any kind of action, there must be inspiration. And that's why all throughout the Bible, they talk about how you can't serve two masters. Because no matter what, at any given point in time, at any given moment, if there is an action, there is a spirit behind the action. When we talk about spirit, the first thing we think about is, oh, one demon in my village, one this or that. You know, that's if, when we hear spirit, the first thing we think about is something superstitious. Well, there's that. But before even that, if someone says, hey, can you help me go give this person this? In that moment, that is breath leaving them. That's life. That's an inspiration. You know, that's an inspiration that is entering into them. That causes them to act. If someone says, hey, go there. That speech they, 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 said, they said to you is like, is like breath that is being released into you that causes you to act. You know? So at any given time, at any given moment, before there is action, there must be spirit. There must be energy. There must be force. Because spirit, energy, force is at the foundation of all existence. And when we talk about Christ, primarily we're talking about a spirit, an energy, a force that causes things to what? I'm asking. That causes things to what? To move. To move. To move. That's why Jesus Christ said, why do you call me Lord, 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 and not do what I say? Because the doing is the motion. Emotion as a result of the inspiration of God. Because you cannot separate his words, the things that he's saying, the things that he has asked us to do from his very essence, from his very being. It doesn't matter how much you have read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It doesn't matter how many, how many years you spent in the temple, in the church, in the synagogue, wherever. It doesn't even matter if you knew him physically, himself. It doesn't matter. Because before the Christ is physical, the Christ is spirit. It is the spirit that existed within that physical vessel that caused that physical vessel to move. That physical vessel was not the origin of the action. It was the effect. How many of us know of this scripture in the book of Ezekiel when he beheld in the heavens a wheel within the wheel? How many of us remember that vision of Ezekiel? How many of us know that vision of Ezekiel? The wheel inside of a wheel. Based on everything that I've just said now, who can interpret that scripture for me? When he said, I saw a wheel inside of a wheel. Raise your hand. Oinko, go ahead. Um, I wasn't using my hand. I was still thinking about it. Oh, you went? Sorry. Oh, okay. Okay, no problem. Okay. Oyechi, go ahead. 
um so like what i was thinking about was how like you know like um first of all the spirit is always moving so it causes like like what yeah. always moving causes the other wheel to move. I hope what I'm saying makes sense. Yeah, um, of course. Like of course. Of course. Because everybody, if you come out on your street, anybody you see walking on the street, right, that is carrying out physical motion, there's something that's moving them. Some people, is that babe, they want to go and see. <laughs> At the other side of town, some people in the morning, they carry them, come out for house. <laughs> Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Some people that are going to church to go and pray and thank their Lord. Are you guys following me? Every wheel you see spinning has a wheel that is behind it. For a car, for the tire of the car to spin, there has to be something else spinning inside of it, which is the fuel. And that fuel also came from somewhere. Are you guys getting my point? Nothing can move without something else moving it. And God, Christ, is the initial spark, is the initial motion, is the initial force, is the initial energy behind all movement. So even that physical body of Jesus Christ that we saw doing, if I even said it very boldly, and you can see how scripture connects. He said, everything you see me do, what? Complete that for me. Everything you see me do, complete it. Complete that for me, people. I, I, saw, I saw my father doing. I, saw, Indeed. I see my father doing. Indeed. And he was making it known to every one of us that this will that you're seeing moving all over the place. My father. Indeed, Yusuf. Indeed. Indeed. Everything you see me do is what I've seen my father do. Because behind that will was another will that was moving. Another will that is the actual spirit. And many people couldn't come to terms with that because people, human beings naturally are very dense creatures. We only believe in what our physical eyes can see. We only believe in what we can hold with our physical hands as though the touching of something was only physical. Because I'm here right now, right? Have you had an experience when someone is talking to you? Have you had an experience when someone is talking to you and, and, you know, there are words either makes you very happy that you can just be so elated, your day has changed, or they're talking to you, and you know, tears just begin to come down your eyes. Have you had an experience before? Without them touching your physical body, have you had an experience before that you cannot be talking to someone and then tears just starts to roll down your eyes? How comes? Because in that moment, they were able to touch you even without touching your physical body. So that lets us know that contact, touch, can happen even beyond the physical. It's not just bound to the physical. Experience, sensation, is not just bound to the physical. So when people say, oh, I only believe in things I can touch. If I can't touch it, I don't believe in it. Then what about all these ideas that you hold on so dearly to that causes you to wake up every morning? Can you touch it? But yet it governs your whole life. So that idea that, oh, only the tangible is real, the intangible is not real, is very fallacious. Because first of all, before there can be any kind of society, any kind of culture, any kind of business manifestation, 
there has to be an intangible idea. True or false? True or false? True. Has there been anyone who began any powerful organization without first of all having an inspiration that caused them to move forward, that was more real to them than their present circumstance? Mark Zuckerberg was a basic young man in Harvard. Basic young man. He didn't have any money. Well, I don't know about that because for him to be in Harvard, there must have been some kind of money somewhere, but I don't know in Shahid. But he didn't have any money. He didn't have anyone with a massive check saying, whatever you do, I'm just going to support you. You have a blank check. He didn't have any of that. And despite the physical surroundings around him, he so much believed in the idea, the intangible idea, the intangible vision of Facebook that he made him carry out so many actions that ultimately, ultimately led to the manifestation of that company. In that moment, the intangible was more real than the tangible. Are we able to see that? Are we able to see that? Yeah. Yeah? Every one of us? You know? And that's what Jesus was trying to get his people at that time to see, to grasp, to understand. That's what he has been trying to get them to understand all throughout the Bible. Before there is manifestation, before there is tangibility, before there is physical substance, there is spirit. And spirit itself is a substance. Paul said, faith is the evidence of things unseen, substance of things hoped for, substance. Substance. Mark Zuckerberg didn't have money. But him getting up to write presentations, call his friends, begin to write all kinds of programs on the computer was the substance of what he hoped for. True or false? True or false, people? True. Huh? Indeed. For the glory that was set before Jesus Christ, he endured the cross. Physically speaking, there was nothing around him that should allow him to have a half peace of mind. Everything around him said trouble. And everyone around him who was physically oriented ran at the sight of trouble. But he was a person who didn't orient his life around things physical. He oriented his life around things spiritual. And it was from there that he began to act from. And that's why his words were strange, because they were very tangible people who could not understand that before the Christ is physical, before deliverance is physical, it is first of all spirit. And that's why the moment he said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. Almost everyone ran away from him. The disciples too would have run away, except that, you know, when you've got to the point where someone has shown themselves so much that, see, I don't understand what you're doing now, but I believe you. <laughs> like Esther now, you know, Esther is a great cook. Some days she does look and say, listen, I want to cook this stuff. In my mind, I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what this is, but you know, Esther, I believe in you, man. I know you didn't be mad, you know? <laughs> and then she start blushing, say, are you serious? Okay, I'll make it. <laughs> 
Woo! And she believes in me too because when I enter that kitchen, I know how to throw it down, you know? <laughs> Even if it's the first time, belief <laughs> is the substance of things I've seen. <laughs> you know what it is? <laughs> you know? <laughs> So the disciples, they didn't understand what he was saying <laughs> as far as they were concerned. That is a mad statement to make. But he said, you know what? After all the things I've seen in the past, I believe in your government. <laughs> we die here. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? The people at that time, they were so fixated on the external appearance that they were not able to recognize that the only way the Christ can be seen, touched, experienced is only by spirit. Only by spirit. Only by spirit. Jesus the Christ asked, who do they say that I am? Oh, some call you Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. Some say this, some say that. And he said, who do you say that I am? He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, flesh and blood cannot reveal that to you except my father in heaven. Why? Why did he say flesh and blood cannot reveal that to you? Who can tell me why? What does it mean by flesh and blood cannot reveal that to you? Who can tell me? Why did he say flesh and blood cannot reveal that to you? Oh, Yichi, go ahead. Um, so what I was thinking was like, like, I don't know, like, human physical flesh, like, it's dead without a spirit. Like, yeah. So, yeah. It, it's not, like, it can't be done by, like, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're close, you're close, you're close. <laughs> Obi, go ahead. Um, to me, what I felt was, like, the canal mind. He said it is only the spirit that knows the mind of god so the the flesh the carnal mind cannot know the mind of god so that, that's what i think well you can definitely say that you know you can definitely say that you can definitely say that because let me give you a very beautiful picture right and let me use women for as an example right to explain this statement, flesh and blood cannot reveal. It has to be something beyond flesh and blood, right? <sighs> There's a reason why you find a lot of older men looking for girls that are, well, much younger than them, maybe like 19. You know, when you find like a 30-year-old guy, not all the time, but generally, not all the time, but generally, you find a 30-year-old guy always looking for 18, 19-year-old girls. Do you know why? Because they have not seen enough of, what's what I want to use? They, they have not understood the spirit that drives certain men. And because they haven't understood the spirit, when certain manifestations happen, they, they don't really know what's going on. They say, oh my God, he's such a sweet guy. Actually, wow, he dropped me off the first night we met. You know, he told me I'm the most beautiful girl in the world. He said, there's no one else like me that I remind him of a dream, like, all this stuff that you know, <laughs> but a girl who's like twenty nine, when if you are to, like if you hear someone saying that you know for the first time for a person, how how would you feel about that girl? Like what what would be thoughts going through your head? Girls, I'm asking. 
when you see adults talking like that, what would the thoughts going through your mind? Huh? <laughs> there is a question for the ladies. What, what thoughts would be going through your, through your mind? <laughs> when she says she roll her eyes. <laughs> Premium tears around the corner. <laughs> Someone said, darling. <laughs> Hot breakfast loading. <laughs> Serious breakfast. <laughs> you know? <laughs> because she's using the flesh to judge a person. She does not understand the spirit. Princess said she would tell her. <laughs> you know? Because you're looking at the person physically, but you are not aware of the spirit behind the person. Now, for, a, for someone who has experienced a lot of men in that, in, that, in that category to understand the spirit, once they say certain words, because physically speaking, everything he said is nice. Everything he said is kind. All his gestures are lovely. So flesh and blood couldn't reveal to you what was in his heart. There had to be a deeper understanding, a deeper realization, a deeper insight. True or false? True or false? True. That transcends the physical, that transcends what you're physically seeing. That yes, I see you, I see you, your nice suit, boy. I see that nice watch, I see your ring, I see that car you just pulled up. I see, but listen, I know that you're scumming this guy. <laughs> Not all the time, but you know. <laughs> you know, and vice versa, in all fields of life. It's not just men, but even women as well. So it's something I find general. You know? There are some ladies that you see them physically, they look like the complete package. But, <laughs> well, let's not go there. <laughs> I'm not yet to do that today. <laughs> you know. So he said, flesh and blood couldn't reveal this to you because if you are going by my physical appearance, there is nothing on my physical body that is able to testify of what it is that I am in spirit. So there are many people who actually walked physically with Jesus Christ, who never knew him. They might have known that boy that used to run around in his diapers and eat sand. You know, the one who would run around and throw water on someone's head and steal from the neighbor and cause trouble. I didn't say he did that, but let's give an example. That is who they knew. That is who they can see. But the spirit that was driving him, the thing that was moving him, they couldn't see. Another example is like, you know, there's this, this saying that they say, what an elder can see while they're sitting down goes beyond what a young person can see, even if they climb the highest tree, you know? Well, I don't think it has more to do with age. I think it has more to do with exposure. Because if you've lived for 60 years, there's a amount of things you have been exposed to in 60 years. You have seen certain scripts a lot of times. And it's because of that exposure that you are able to predict what is going to happen just by looking at how something begins. For example, that's why AI, they are very intelligent, not because they have um, divine wisdom or anything like that, but AIs are fed with a lot of data. Every day they are feeding them data, 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 putting pictures, putting patterns, putting people's speech, putting people's reactions. So an AI is filled with data, data, data. So an AI has, is as though it has lived for 400 years with the amount of data that it has stored. That's why it can easily predict things. Do you guys get my point? Do you guys get my point? 
So it's possible that you can even be 10 years old. I mean, look at Jesus Christ, he was 12. But at 12, he was confounding rabbis. Have you met a real rabbi, like a rabbi in Israel? It's no joke. I'm not talking about Nigerian pastor now. Not like anything wrong with Nigerian pastor. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> not like anything wrong with Nigerian pastor, but like when we talk about like discipline and how they take the, the, the scriptures, how they take it, I, I really don't think you can find it anywhere else, to be honest, especially back then when it was still more pure. Like, scripture was their life. Already from the age of three, four, they already make them cram the Torah that they can even recite three, four chapters back to back without missing a word. By the age of 13, they are filled with it. Like the, so imagine someone having doing that for 50 years, every blessed day, every blessed day, every blessed day, and a 12-year-old boy comes and confounds you. That tells you the degree of exposure I already had at the age of 12. Anyway, that's not the point I was trying to make. I'm still talking about flesh and blood cannot reveal except you saw it by spirit. You know? So an elder can look at you, right? And maybe you bring a particular gentleman into your house. You say, oh, Auntie or mommy, this is the guy I want to marry, you know? And she just looks at the gentleman. She looks at his clothing. She looks at how he talks. She asks him about what, you, what do you do? And she hears the way he speaks. And because she's lived for 60 years, 65 years, because she's met different kinds of people, there's a particular speech pattern that she can, she knows the spirit behind it, true or false? True or false? That just the way he's talking, she can identify, I know the spirit that is at work in this gentleman. And I'm not necessarily talking about demons or things like that, but like, I know, I have an idea of what is influencing you. I can look at you and like, ah, this young man, I can see that just from here you talk, I can see that you can do anything to get money. Just hearing you talk, hearing your, 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 your value system, I've seen this script before. Because human beings are like, like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing anyone is doing today that wasn't done yesterday. It might be done in a new form. Just the day before yesterday, I saw online that on the metaverse, a woman, five people came and gang raped her on the, on the metaverse. There is nothing new under the sun. It might, just, it might just be done in a new field. It might just be done in a new way. But what, has, what was is what is and what will be. And if you live for 60, 60, 65 years, 70 years, there are some things that you already know. Once you see that motion, ah, you know the energy behind it. You know. And they can say, ah, you, I know you. You might be speaking nice now. You might sound like, oh, you have everything put together. But I know you. You're a young man with low self-esteem. And you're all about proving yourself to the world. You don't really care about people. You just want people to look at you like, Oh, you're so great. You're so wonderful. Are you ready to do anything for it? You're a narcissist. I know you. And she not tell the daughter, you see that young man, be very careful. But we in our young, our, our youthful exuberance, what do you mean? What do you know? You know, and all this nonsense. But anyway, anyway, you know, we know ourselves, you know. <laughs> Flesh and blood didn't reveal this unto you. Because if we're going by what the physical eyes can see, it is not possible to recognize what it is that I am. Because even though you see a physical manifestation, even though you see emotion, 
there is something that is behind this motion that is the thing that you ought to know. So based on all that I've said thus far, do you people see how it is possible that many people could have been around Jesus Christ physically, they could have eaten food with him, they could have slept with him, they could have laughed with him, but they did not know a thing about him. Do you guys see how that's possible? Do you see how that's possible? Huh? Indeed, indeed, indeed. Now, do you also see how it's possible that it's, that it's possible that one could have read hundred scriptures, read this and that, been in how many fellowship, been in how many prayer meetings, been in this and that, but there is absolutely no knowledge of the Spirit of God. See how that's possible? Because before the Christ is flesh, it is first of all spirit. And he spoke to the people and he said to them, he said to them, how did he say it? He said, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Maybe you can post the scripture if you know it. You will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And he said that to Israelites at that time who were very arrogant and believed that they were better than everyone. And they were shocked. And they said to him, how can, how can you say that you make us free, we who are sons of Abraham? He said, you are nothing but brood of vipers. You are sons of the devil. Because if you were truly sons of Abraham, you would have received me. I'm just paraphrasing. Maybe someone can post it for us. He said, if you were truly sons of Abraham, you would have believed me. Then I think there was a question they asked him about Abraham. He said, are you older than our father Abraham? He now said to them, before Abraham was, I am my God. <laughs> that was a dirty slap to their face. They couldn't believe what, how dare you? <laughs> how, dare, how dare this man? Who, who the hell do you think you are? Where on earth did you come from? Like, I'll kill you. <laughs> My father Abraham. <laughs> My father Abraham. Wow. This guy must die today. <laughs> You're a dead man. <laughs> but they were looking at the flesh and blood because they believed that the Christ is recognized by flesh and blood. And I've said it many times. That physical person that was speaking was not more than 33 years old. We knew where he came from. We saw him. Some of them went for his naming ceremony. Like, you know what I'm saying? They were there when they gave him names. Some of them, they watered, they cleaned his bum on my baby. So they saw his beginning. Well, they thought they saw his beginning. Because again, they were using the eyes of flesh and blood to define him. Because they thought that the Christ was something physical. So when they saw this man, say, it's not you that we clean your bumble. I ah, ah, ah. Is this not uh, the son of Iyadesu? <laughs> you know the way you're about to say, Iyadele, Iyadesu? Ah, is this not the son of Iyadesu? <laughs> no, it's not you that I, I was, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> How do you say, where did this one come from, Yoruba? There's only Yoruba saying that's very funny, eh? Imbolotin? Eh. So how do you say, where did this one come from, Yoruba? There's a way they say it that's very funny. 
How do you say it? Abby, how do you say it to you about where did this one come from? <laughs> I think it's better somebody unmutes themselves to actually say it so that you don't uh, <laughs> mess it. Let me not bite my tongue. I think, I think they'll be like, ah, Nibolotiwa. Nibolotiwa. Hey, Nibolotiwa. You know? <laughs> so, uh, where did they bring this one from? Is it not you that... <laughs> You see, before Abraham was, I am. Ah, we're going to kill you today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, where did they bring this dude from? They were flabbergasted. This was an unbelievable statement to make. They couldn't wrap their head around what he said. You know? They couldn't wrap their head around what he said. How dare you desecrate our Abraham? You know, because even they thought that Abraham was physical. Oh my God. They thought that Abraham was first physical. Isn't it a mystery? He said, if you were sons of Abraham, you would have known me. But physically, were they not sons of Abraham? So what does that tell us people? Who can tell me what that means? Because physically, they were sons of Abraham, right? But he said that because you haven't received me, you're not a son of Abraham. So what does that tell us about Abraham in respect to what I talked about, how before, before he thinks his first physical, it's spirit. Hmm? What does that tell us about Abraham and being a son of Abraham? Is it about being from the Jewish race? Or is it about being living a life in, 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 what's the word I want to use? In the same spirit that Abraham lived. Because when we talk about offspring, offspring is not just a physical thing. Like I said, we as human beings exist on multiple dimensions. We can summarize it to three. Though it's more, but we can summarize it to three. We can say physical, we can say psychological, we can say spiritual. Now, when someone is your physical child, a child is, your child is verified by the resemblance. I can see you, ah, I see, I'm looking at the face now, and it looks exactly like the mom, or it looks exactly like the dad. Physically, I see a resemblance. So when I go to this particular place, ah, I say, ah, you're a strong man. Ah, you must be, look at all these children, they just collected your face, you know? Because physically, offsprings would look like you physically. Now, that's one dimension of offspring. Now, there's another dimension of offspring, which is a psychological offspring. There are parents who have children who look like them physically, but the way that child reasons is as if those, <laughs> they came from two different worlds. Do you guys get my point? Do you guys get my point? Like you can have a child that looks exactly like you physically, but the state of mind, the reasoning of the child and the parent is like heaven and earth. Is like east and west, like north and south. There's almost no correlation. It's completely distinct. Because that child is their physical offspring. But that child is not their psychological offspring. And this is something that a lot of CEOs battle with. Just because you have a physical child doesn't necessarily mean that this child is an embodiment of your vision. Doesn't mean that this child carries the same drive, the same inspiration that you have. Is that young boy that you picked up from the streets 
that is actually your child psychologically. He doesn't look like you physically, but when he stands and speaks, the way he commands the room, the way he puts attention to detail, the way he allows anyone believe whatever he says, you know that that one is your child. You know that that one is your child. And that is the true way to pick successors. It's not about whether you've known this person for so long or whether they came from your physical loins. It's about the resemblance psychologically. Can I see it on them? Now there's a third dimension, which is the spiritual offspring. And it's exactly the result of environmental factors as well. You just, when you meet the person, you just see a particular character trait. You know, ah, you must be from this place because this is how they behave. Because looking at your character traits, I can see a resemblance between you and this particular group of people, you know? Hmm? Like a cult, exactly. You know, you go to certain, for example now, I mean, even in churches, you can almost define which church each person goes to just by the way, you know, the way they dress. Eh? <laughs> exactly, you know? Different people, they all have, you know, the way they dress, the way they talk. Some say my brother, my sister, some say, Hallelujah. <laughs> so I'm saying, Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, Hallelujah is redeemed. <laughs> hallelujah. It's probably all these churches of the island. <laughs> what do you put when oh, you put it there? You know. <laughs> eh? <laughs> There's another one. I will never be broke in my life. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen that video. <laughs> I won't call the name. <laughs> but he said, I will never be broke in my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, so different, different groups have the different, you know, somebody shout hallelujah, <laughs> you know, so different groups have their different offspring and offspring is not only a physical thing. But offspring is also a psychological thing and a spiritual thing. And like I said, the Bible is not only a physical book, it is also a psychological book, and it's also a spiritual book. And all these things work together simultaneously. Do you guys get what I'm saying? So physically, they might have been offsprings of Abraham. They might have been offsprings of Abraham. But by virtue of what is manifesting out of them, by virtue of the fruit they are producing, they look nothing like Abraham. Actually, they are sons of the devil. And just like I said it very clearly, you are of the father, you are of your father, the devil, who was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. When he speaks of lies, he speaks of his own nature. There is no truth in him. He said, you have your father, the devil. Physically, they were offsprings of Abraham. But psychologically, spiritually, their father, the one that produced their, their way of thinking, their, their, their way of being, was the devil. And that's a beautiful mystery Christ was presenting. Because it's possible that you are, you, you are from, oh, you know the way we say, oh, I must be better than you because I'm from this denomination. Oh, I'm from this church. Or we say, oh, I'm better than you because I'm part of this religion. I'm better than you. I guess get what I'm saying? 
You could have been born in the most Christian, in the most Christian Christian family, the most Christian denomination, in the most Christian church group, in the most Christian family in the church group. You could have, you can be born in it, but you can even with that, you can still be an offspring of something else. You can even say, oh, I've been a Christian for 30 years. All these labels don't mean anything. I tell you, because before there's manifestation, there must be spirit. Spirit comes first. Spirit is paramount. Manifestation is secondary. That's why, especially in the early days when we started talking, I, I was always talking about the essence of a thing before the form, before the manifestation. Spirit always comes first. So you can say, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I did this, I did that, I did that. But when you observed, when you observe yourself and people observe you, when we identify the energy that is moving you, we know for a fact that you are not a Christian. In the very same way, those Pharisees at that time, physically, they were sons of Abraham. And if you know about Israelites very well, how many of us know this? That the Israelites keep a full, um, um, the names of all their ancestors up to this day. How many of us know that? And that's how, when they went into diaspora for 2,000 years, when they came back to form themselves as a nation in the Middle East again, they were able to identify who were the real Israelites. How many of us know that? That they all they keep the names of all since the beginning of their race. For example, the book of, I think, um, is it Matthew or Luke? Luke, Abby? Luke, that started with the, gene, uh, the genealogy. That's how they were able to tell you that Jesus Christ literally was from the offspring of David. If you even look at the parallels, right? And it's so powerful when I saw it one day. This is a side note, but isn't it interesting how John the Baptist, both his parents were from the tribe of Levi? They were priests. And both of Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, were from, the, from David, kings. Oh, that's a very beautiful mystery being painted, but that's a side note, <laughs> you know? That's a side note, you know? So those Pharisees that were talking to Jesus Christ, if you open the books of their genealogy, you will see how they themselves traced all the way to Abraham. So physically speaking, they were children of Abraham. Physically speaking, they were, the, they were children of the free woman. But by virtue of the nature characteristic that was coming out of them, it didn't matter whether they were physical descendants of Abraham. Based on what was coming out of them, they were sons of the woman that was bound, not the woman that was free. I must understand, this is not about God being partial, because Paul talked about, I think in the book of Ephesians, that the bond woman and the free woman were both symbols of a life in the spirit and the life in the flesh. So you must understand those stories, even though they are physical accounts, they are actually talking about something much deeper. Maybe someone can post it for us when Paul said that this story is but an allegory. And he explained what Hagar represented and what um, Sarah represented, right? So those stories are not those stories. They're actually mysterious teachings that talk about the inward life of a person, you see, which Jesus Christ was coming to explain to the people at that time, the inward life, the spirit life, the inspired life, you know? So it's possible that I can trace your family down all to the beginning of the charismatic movement. <laughs> I can trace it even down to when the first Catholic church was opened in Constantinople. When it didn't open there first, but I can trace your physical history down. 
but it won't mean a thing. It won't mean a thing if what is driving you, if what is inspiring you is not the spirit that is Christ. And on the flip side, there are people who, if you trace their ancestry, you can't connect them with anything Jesus, quote unquote. That is Jesus in the physical sense and our church system and structures and our religious stuff. If you try and trace them, you can't see any connection. But when you watch them, when you watch how they're moving, the way they're acting, you know there's a wind that's blowing this person. No, 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 there's a wind that's blowing this person. He might not be physically an Israelite, but what I see coming out of him spiritually, this one is an Israelite. I guess understand what I'm saying? Because to be an Israelite, spiritually speaking, is not about being born in the Middle East. It's about living a life, being inspired by the Spirit of God and being driven by Him. Hmm? And the one who lives a life under inspiration of the Holy Spirit is an Israelite. That's what it means spiritually to be an Israelite, to be an offspring of Abraham. And the people at that time didn't understand that. They didn't get it. And also they said, how can we, who are sons of Abraham, be made free? Saying that, oh, as they are, as they are right now, they are free men. But freedom is not only physical. Do you guys understand? I'm sure we watch CIA movies, right? When they kidnap someone and put them in a black hole. When they put them, let's say they catch a spy that has been causing problems for them and they want the spy to talk and everything and they put them in a black hole. Who can tell me why they put them in that black hole? Why did they do that? What's the purpose of putting them in that place for like two weeks, three weeks? What, what, what did they try to achieve? Hmm? To weaken their mind. To weaken their mind. To break their spirits. And to break their spirits. Indeed, to break their mind. Because physically, they are in shackles. But if someone is in shackles physically, but their mind is free, those shackles lose value. And that's why Paul and Silas, they, they just couldn't understand these people. My God, we have you in chains. We have you in a nasty, smelly, rotten Roman dungeon where feces and urine are all over the place. Rats are probably eating your feet at night. What on earth is making you sink? Also, we have always declared that once day breaks, we are cutting your head off. What is making you to dance? Physically, they were bound. But on the inside, they were liberated. Physically, they were bound. But on the inside, they were liberated. So also the Pharisees of that time, physically, it looked like they were free, right? They could get up, go to the supermarket if they wanted to, go to buy food if they wanted to, go and visit a friend if they wanted to. But the fact that your physical body can move wherever you, you wish doesn't necessarily mean that you're free. Because even that moving that you're doing, like I said, something is moving you. True or false, people? Hmm? True or false? Something is moving you. And I've told this joke many times, you know? One day I was on Instagram, and I said this many times, you know? I was on Instagram, and I was going to my explore page, you know? <coughs> and then 
I saw some very nice juicy burger that they were advertising on the export page. And you know, all those funny videos that when they finish cooking the burger, they would not press it, all the cheese would start to pour out. And I, I said, James, we'll see burger. <laughs> you know? <laughs> anyway, fast forward, you know, I just, I saw it, I enjoyed it, and I went away, you know, I forgot about it. All of a sudden, three hours later, I don't know what happened. I just saw myself online. I started Googling where to buy burger and order. <laughs> Now, in the process of doing that, the Holy Spirit just said to me, do you see that even this moment that you're ordering this burger, that you think it came from you, it was actually that advert that inspired you. It was a seed that was planted into my mind. You know? So in that moment, I thought I was free. I thought that I was, <laughs> I thought I was a free man. <laughs> I thought I inspired myself. I thought that is my decision. As many of us here say, this is what I want to do. This is what I want. This is my decision. And we say we're free. What if we look back, a lot of decisions we're making today, the kind of friends you meet, the kind of clothes you wear, the kind of haircuts we keep, the kind of hairstyles we put on, the kind of dresses we buy, shoes, clothes, bags. If we look deep, deep inside, we see that very little of the amount of things that we do actually came from us on the inside. True or false, people? True or false? True. Indeed. Indeed. So the Pharisees at that time, they could have sworn on their mother's grave, on their father's grave, on their children's grave, that they were free men. But again, flesh and blood does not reveal this. So even on the outside, it looked as though they were free. Jesus the Christ could see beyond the physical. He could see the energy. Are you guys seeing how everything comes full circle? The energy. And when he saw the way they were moving, he said, surely the energy that is moving you can't be of my father. It can't be of Abraham because this was my father that was moving Abraham. That is also moving me. So if the same wind that blew Abraham and blew me was blowing you, there's no how you argue with me. And that's why Paul said, are you not carnal? Saying, I'm for Paul, I'm for Apollos. Can't you see that it's one wind blowing both of us? Why are you comparing? Do you understand? That's what Josh Christ came and said. Do you think I came to abolish the law? I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And not one judge or title of the law will fall to the ground without being fulfilled. Why did he say that? Because the same wind that blew Jesus is what blew Moses. It's what blew Elijah. It's what blew Jeremiah and David and Solomon. It's the same wind. Christ is not a New Testament thing. It's the same wind. Who can bring out the scripture? When Paul talked about how the rock that the people in the, in the wilderness drank from, the rock that followed Moses, was actually Christ. Can someone post that scripture for me? When, when Paul said that the, the, the rock that the Israelites were drinking from was Christ. Can someone post that scripture? You know? It's the same wind. You can't put it in a box. You can't say this is the only way it looks like. This is just the form it takes. Because the wind has been coming in different ways, in different forms. The form, the manifestation is temporary. 
it comes and it goes. But the spirit, the wind, the spirit is eternal. First Corinthians 10. The spirit is eternal. The wind is eternal. The form is temporary. The manifestation is temporary. You know? First Corinthians 10, verses verse 3 to 4. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. But when we read that passage, many of us would have thought that a physical rock was literally falling them up and down. Well, it could have happened so, but that is not the point. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? Because he said that they drank spiritual drink and ate spiritual food. So what does that tell us, people? What does that tell us about the kind of nourishment that they were having? What was being fed? What, what kind of feeding or what part of their being was being fed? at the time when the rock was following them. Who can tell me? Their spirits, indeed. Spirit. <laughs> I like Jefferson. <laughs> he writes spirit. <laughs> Come on, boy. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Their spirits. Their spirits. Their spirits, you know, their spirits, you know. Just Christ said, I've had, I have food to eat that you don't know of. I've had food to eat that you don't know of, that you can't understand because you only live for the bread that perishes. But I know a bread that transcends, that transcends the bread physical. I know of the bread spiritual that you eat of and you will never hunger anymore. Not physical hunger, because poor hunger beat him back. <laughs> hunger dealt with poor. I want us to understand. Peter, <laughs> you know what they call Sakwa? <laughs> oh, who sees him? <laughs> they saw it very well. <laughs> like the English would say, Sakwa. Someone explained to Chiamaka what Sakpa is. I don't think she understands. You know, all these people from, you know, from overseas, they don't really, you know, Sakpa <laughs> is an artwork. <laughs> it's an, as I said, it's an artwork you can already paint when you're broke. <laughs> Sakpa. Let me describe Sakpa for you, you know. <laughs> you know those days where you've not seen food to eat, that your stomach starts to do <laughs> That's Sakpa. <laughs> The moment your stomach starts to sing melody, you know Sakpa is coming. <laughs> Sakpa. <laughs> Have you meet your mic and say Sakpa? <laughs> I don't think you can. Sakpa. No, people don't are saying that. Actually, you're just saying it's a push way. You're still giving it like some kind of British, you know, accent. Like, and like he's adding a lot of flex to it. <laughs> As in giving it some kind of opulence. It's Sakpa. Sakpa. I've heard. Sakpa. So Jesus Christ said, if I give you this bread, you won't be hungry again. So did he lie? Because Paul and Peter, they saw plenty of hunger. 
You get what I'm saying? <laughs> they saw hunger. They saw nakedness. They saw a lot of suffering. Ah, but this man said that if we drink this water, we'll never be thirsty again. That if we follow him, we'll only know peace. How comes? What's going on? Did he lie? Or is there something that we didn't understand? Like I said, we as human beings exist on multiple dimensions. We exist on multiple dimensions. And in every one of those dimensions, we need speed. On the physical dimension, speed is oxygen that enters into our lungs. It's the breath, it's the wind that allows our physical body to be vitalized. On a psychological level, speed is ideas, concepts that we need every day. We need it to live on a psychological level. And beyond that, into the region of the soul, into the spirit, the speed that we need is the word of God. The word of God that comes out of his mouth, his directives, his oracles, his teachings. And that's the meaning of what Moses was trying to teach when he wrote about the rock that followed them. Even the water that came out. Yes, with the kind of spiritual power and authority that he had. Yes, water could come out of, come out of, come out of a rock. But I want us to understand that these things are not, it's not the most, you know, in the grand scheme of things, things like that are not, Unbelievable. It just happens to be that we're so westernized, so modernized that we are no longer familiar with. <sighs> I look for the right words, you know. When we live in a world that is filled with so much metals and stones and we're completely separated from nature, that's when a lot of things just sound strange. But if you go to the village, a lot of things, if you notice in the village, have you noticed that village people, there are things that they believe that city people just can't grasp have you guys realized that the people who live in the village you know still very close to nature you know the kind of stories they'll tell you you're like ah where did you get this from yeah because they're still living in a region where there's life they're surrounded by life plants animals trees rivers stones they're surrounded by life and because they're surrounded by life not only will they experience life physical, they will also experience life spiritual. Because for everything physical, there is a spiritual aspect to it. Or better said, there is a metaphysical aspect to it. The word meta means above. So metaphysical means above the physical, beyond the physical. Every physical thing has a metaphysical counterpart, but only physical things that are alive. Not this dead piece of wood. This, is, this, this wood is dead. But when you go to the forest now, a mighty oak tree that's been there for 80 years. Now, that is a tree that is alive. And let me tell you, not only does it have a physical existence, it also has a spiritual existence as well. And if you are perceptive in the spirit, you will come in contact with it. It's not good, it's not bad. That's just the reality of life. And the same way a human being can be corrupted and made to, become, and made to start to do evil things, that same tree can be programmed to do that as well. Are you guys getting my point? Jesus Christ said, the stones will praise me even if you don't praise me. So that tells you that even stones are capable of praise. Do you think that stones are dead? Are you not aware that the Mount Everest grows about 1.6 inches every year? Every year. That Mount Everest you're seeing is still growing to date. It's taller now than it was 10 years ago. 
It's not dead. It's not dead. There's nothing that God created that is dead. Nothing. Even water is alive. It's scientifically proven that water is a living entity and it can even die. Hmm? It can even fight. For every body of water, there is a metaphysical aspect to it. The village people know it very well. Very well. <laughs> Ishama, I know you know it very well. Like <laughs> <Huh? laughs> You know? Who is from the South South here? Let me know. Where, where are my people? Let me see them. We know it's very well. Those South South people. Where are they? Cordelia. You know it's very well, Abby. <laughs> Princess, you know it very well. <laughs> you know? So there's life. There's life. So the fact that we live in the city and we're surrounded by dead things, dead stone, dead metal, dead everything, you know, it doesn't mean that all these things don't exist. You know, for everything physical, there is a metaphysical aspect. And not only do we as human beings have a metaphysical existence, all of nature does as well. And we as human beings, not only do we have physical nourishment, we also have a metaphysical nourishment. Not only do we have a metaphysical relationship with it, not only do we have a physical relationship with God, we have a metaphysical relationship with God. Who can tell me the physical relationship with God that we have? Let me see those who are really intuitive. How can you have a physical relationship with God? How can you have a physical relationship with Jesus Christ? Who can tell me? Let me see if we're really intuitive. I, I really want to see it. How can we have a physical relationship with Jesus Christ? Who can tell me? Don't be afraid. Just go ahead and just speak. God bless you, Dan. With humans, with humans, with humans. We're the vessels of God. For God to be made tangible, it can only be through you. Do you understand? Paul said, you are letters of Christ written for all men to read. It is through you that people can know Christ physically. Christ, the spirit of Christ can only be known physically through vessels. Do you guys understand? Through vessels. So for you to encounter Christ physically, it has to be through a vessel. It has to be through a vessel. Spirit always needs a vehicle to manifest through. Energy must move something. Energy must always move something. Whether it is positive energy or it's negative energy, it must always move something. It needs a vehicle of expression. So the question to ask, when people meet you, who are they meeting? Because at any given time, there is a wheel that is inside your wheel. Do we understand that? There's a will inside your will. Paul said it very clearly in Philippians chapter 2. When he said, work out, of, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'm not talking about how for the Lord works in you to will and to do. He works in you to will, W-I-L-L, -L, and to do. 
So behind your willingness for God, behind your doing for God, there's someone that is willing and doing. Does that make sense? Are you guys seeing the wheel behind the wheel? Understand? I'm using the double entendre now. I'm talking about W-H-E-E-L and W-I-L-L. Are we seeing it? Paul talked about W-I-L-L. He works in you to will and to do. So behind your will, W-I-L-L, there is a will working in you. And also behind your W-H-E-E-L, your motion, there is another will moving on the inside. The question is, what is that will? Because no one can move without energy. No one can move without speed. <laughs> that word is sweet. <laughs> English is not sweet like this. <laughs> speed. You know, for God to be encountered physically, for him to be made flesh, for him to be tangible, that another man can touch, taste, see, and feel, a vessel must be present. But that vessel is only but a gateway, is only but a bridge for you to encounter the spirit itself. And is that spirit that one ought to know? Is that spirit that saves? Is that spirit that transforms? Is that spirit that transfigures? And it is beyond flesh and blood. It is beyond doctrines, cultures, books. It's beyond it. It is written that in the beginning of the world, in, in, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So long before there was any manuscript, long before there was the word. Did Paul read the book of Romans? <laughs> I want you to think about it. Did Paul read the book of Romans? Did Paul read 1st and 2nd Corinthians? Did Paul read Ephesians? Yeah? <laughs> uh -huh. Did Paul read it? But yet, I didn't know all those things that he wrote. There's a spirit that is beyond the text. There's a spirit that is beyond the text. And when we engage the text, it's to engage it as a bridge to that spirit. I'm not just reading this so that I can come out tomorrow and sound like I'm intellectually astute. And oh, I know this scripture, I can quote like anything. It's a gateway to the spirit. It's a gateway, it's a bridge. It's the gate of heaven. Are you guys understanding it? The spirit has always been the point. The spirit, not the personality. And Christians today have so much idolized the personality, have so much idolized the tradition, have so much idolized the culture that the spirit has been thrown out the window. And it's not a new thing. It's always been like this. Jesus, his physical personality has been idolized. And I've said it so many times. Christians are one of the biggest idol worshippers in the world. Funny enough. And if you think about it, you will see it very clearly. Because we've idolized the physical Bible, we've idolized our tradition, we've idolized the prayer and fasting, we've idolized everything, and the spirit has been thrown out the window. The spirit that caused all these things to come into manifestation, we abandoned it, and we started chasing the effects. When the cause has always been there, waiting for you to grasp it, but we're chasing effects. If you go to a hospital, 
The first thing they will ask you, tell me your symptoms. Because the symptom is the effect. The doctor doesn't care about the effect. He doesn't just ask you about your headache because you say, oh, how are you feeling? You say, oh, I have headache. I have stomach pain. I have this. Does he immediately say, okay, take Panadol, take this. He puts everything together so that what? He can find the cause. Because once you find the cause, you have control of all the effects. That's why when there is war, who did they go after first? The general. Because all those soldiers are almost like empty hands. I, I don't want to sing a very an old song like this. <laughs> Just keep to away. Zombie, oh zombie. <laughs> exactly, blessing. You strike the shepherd, all the sheep will scatter. Because those sheep don't really have a mind of their own. They don't know how to work together. They don't know how to keep themselves together. There's something above them that is controlling them. And when you get that, everything else falls away. Because the cause is what they call the sumum supremum, the cause. That's what you must go after, the cause. I remember some years ago, not some years ago, but like 2006. 17, but it feels like some years ago because that's like, you know, not I'm old, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I was reading the book of Ephesians. I was studying it, I was studying it, I was studying it. And the Holy Spirit said to me, he said to me, not there's anything wrong with Ephesians, don't get what I'm going to say wrong. But he said to me, he said, did Paul read Ephesians? I said, no. Did Paul read Colossians, Galatians? I said, no. He said, what did he read? I said, well, probably Jeremiah, Isaiah. He said, okay, now I want you to go and read what he read so that maybe you can get a glimpse of what he saw. And lo and behold, that was the first time I started opening the book of the prophets. I started opening um, um, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and that's when understanding like never before started to come before me. And even more than ever, I even began to understand Paul's words. I was like, wow, because this is the stream you know, this is where it came from, you know, causes, 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 causes. When we engage the Bible, we're looking for the cause. We're looking to know the cause. We're looking to know the cause. Now, this also doesn't mean that, that, um, that um, the book of Jeremiah is better than the book of Galatians or the book of Ephesians. That's not what I'm saying entirely. You know? I'm just talking about a moment when God wanted me to go and actually, because at that time, you know, I was, I was at a point where I wasn't really reading the Old Testament. I wasn't reading the, the I wasn't reading the Old Testament, really, you know. I was just reading the New Testament and, you know, I was enjoying it. It was very beautiful. But you can't understand, in a sense, the New Testament is an effect of the Old it's one progression. You can't separate one from the other. It's like a parent and a child. You know, it's like trying to separate Judaism from Christianity. You can't really. Because even Jesus Christ was a Jew. Paul was a Jew. Peter was a Jew. The title Christians came as a result of what people called them because they were associated with the Christ. Paul was a Jew. Except he was a Jew that had gained a deeper understanding and insight into the religion. So you can't separate one from the other. And at that time, I was separating one from the other. I was completely abandoning the Old Testament. I was of that mindset then that the Old Testament is only type and shadow. And everything there is just shadow. 
And the New Testament is the manifestation until God started helping me to see clearly. I remember that time very well. When I was reading Jeremiah, my mind was blown. I was just like, my God. I was reading Isaiah, like, my God, this now makes sense. So that Ephesians that I was reading, that I thought I understood, when I began to read other texts, I saw the connection because it's the same wind. And then a holistic picture started to become, started to, to become painted before my eyes. Not speaking as though, oh, I'm, I'm an Adonis of understanding. Not at all. Still a very long way to go. But nonetheless, I'm very much a long way from where I came from. You know, when we approach the Bible, it's a bridge to something else. It's a bridge. It's a bridge. That is a bridge doesn't mean the Bible itself is of little consequence because bridge is also important. You can't throw away the bridge, you know. It's just like you want to, you want to get to meet a president. If you disrespect the aid, will you get that access? I'm asking. I'm asking. If you disrespect the aid of a president, will you get the access? Hmm? You wouldn't. So you can't throw away the aid. You can't throw away the bridge because it's part of it. You know? As Carly said, back to the trenches. So the spirit is what God is inviting us to know. The spirit. The vessels, the form, the containers are but a bridge to the cause. But for a very long time, Christians have been chasing the effects. Now, effects are not necessarily bad. Every effect has a cause. There's a reason why it came into existence. Every effect, every law that Moses wrote has a cause, which is something good, right? I mean, look at it now. Um, as of 40 years ago, you know, when we didn't have, um, um, well, internet and all these things, people, there were only laws against you stealing physical property. But now in the year 2022, there are laws against what? Intellectual property, true or false? That if you steal something that is, an, that is intangible, you can go to jail, true or false? And then people are patenting their ideas now. I don't sit and think of something next thing, I'll go and patent it. Anybody who tries to use this, my idea, this, my, my intangible thing, you can go to jail. Every law that comes into existence has a purpose. So it's not about throwing away the laws or throwing away tradition or throwing away culture. It's about understanding them. Finding their roots, where it began. When you understand how it began, then you start to understand where and where it applies, where and where it does not apply. So that we're not enslaved to things. So this is not even a call to say, okay, don't have any statue of Jesus and all this stuff. That's still not the point. Because even those statues were made for a reason. Those paintings were made for a reason. Those stained glasses, those beautiful songs, they were made for a reason. Like I said once on one of our prayer calls, that especially that time in the Catholic Church, where they really understood the meditative aspect of Christianity, and it was very much prominent then, and they knew how impactful visuals were. They made a deliberate effort to make sure that everyone is surrounded by pristine images, beautiful things. And that's why most times they put cathedrals in a place that most of those areas are poor. Because if you wake up every day and all you see is ugliness, disfiguration, because scientifically speaking, 
When we say something is ugly, it means that it is mathematically unbalanced because beauty actually is mathematics. When you listen to Mozart, Beethoven, um, um, Tchaikovsky, you listen to their beautiful ballads, their beautiful concertos. When you look at it mathematically, their songs are almost perfect. Like the space between melodies, the space between sounds, between each beat, between each um, um, trombone, whenever a new sound comes up, when you look at those spaces, it is mathematically astute. When you look at a man or woman and say, oh my God, you are beautiful. It's because mathematically speaking, their face is proportional. The eyes are in proper alignment with the nose, with the lips. The height is proportional. Their waist is a certain length. Beauty is mathematical. We can say beauty is a perfect equation, a lovely equation. And ugliness is an unbalanced equation. And so many people live in a world where there's just so much ugliness. It does things, doesn't, it don't add up. How can I just come to you? I say good morning. You say good morning yourself. That doesn't add up. That's not mathematical. Do you guys get my point? Are you seeing how I'm trying to connect it? Like it doesn't add up. How can I come and greet you and you hiss at me? What kind of bad mathematics is this? <laughs> Do you guys get my point? Do you understand me? <laughs> you know? So they'll build very grand cathedrals in the midst of slums sometimes in order to give those people a chance to be around something beautiful. Because everyone, and I remember someone said something to me once, he said, everyone has a right to beauty. We actually need, we need to be surrounded by beauty. It helps. Not just beauty in physical environment, beauty in words as well. That's why we love when we hear, oh, you're doing great, you're doing this. It's actually your surrounding. Because the words that follow you everywhere are kind of psychological surrounding. And if all around you, you've just had criticisms, judgment, slanders, what happens? You also will become a picture of that environment. True or false? True or false, people? Are you who hated being criticized, being judged, being slandered? You'll find that you yourself will become exactly like that. Whether you like it or not, you'll become slanderous, you become judgmental, you become overly critical of everyone around you. And that's why they created beautiful spaces. Even now, this is something we're trying to do. Oh, how are you doing? Are you well? God bless you. God keep you. It's not about just tradition, tradition, religion. We're trying to create a different environment because who knows where some of us on this call are coming from? We know. Those of us who know where we came from, we know. You know? You know? Some of us just this evening, someone just said something very nasty to us unnecessarily. Like, why? And that's one of the reasons why people are asked to maintain the sanctity of a, of a spiritual atmosphere. It's not about being religious, but we have created this atmosphere for a particular purpose. We want it to, to carry out a certain kind of healing in people. Now, if you taint it with bad behavior, bad words, bad everything, then there's no sanctuary for anyone. You know? So the Catholics at that time, they built very majestic cathedrals that people still go to see today because it's such a sight. The mathematics, the geometry behind those structures is phenomenal. Even the statues, phenomenal. The paintings, phenomenal. You just enter and you're like, wow. Now that wow, actually, it's, it's like a gateway. It opens you up into a higher reality. 
And when every time you enter there, you're just faced with so many pictures, you know, some of them, they even paint the whole passion of the Christ to inspire certain feelings inside of you. It begins to connect you closer and closer to God. And when you close your eyes and pray, they've already helped your imagination with all these beautiful pictures, which are like also like bridges, gateways into the spirit. So this is not saying to throw away all those things because all those things have purpose. But what we need to understand is the purpose of those things so that we don't end up idolizing them, which many people have done. Even some statues that people just go and pray around, that was not the original intention behind it. It's not as if they are, the original intention is not as if they are bound down to the statues. When one creates a physical stone or a piece of wood or something, there's a way that one can charge it with a certain kind of energy. Then that stone becomes a kind of living thing that anyone who comes around it becomes injected with the energy that was put into it. That's why, for example, you hear Baba Adeboye, Baba Yeriko, they talk about how when they built, when they built those places in, in, um, off Ibadan Expressway, when he built in Ota, they talk about how they walked around that place many times praying because they wanted to charge it in this kind of way that anyone who just enters that place, something must happen to you just because of the way it's been charged. Now, in that same way, they charge statues as well. People do it for good, people do it for evil. But in those days, they'll charge it. Especially when people are always going and praying around it, there's a kind of energy that is just being wrapped around those statues. That just being around there. It's not as if it's a statue, but there's an energetic field that has been created around it. That when you enter there, if you're having depression, that thing can put a kind of energy into you that will bring that depression down. And vice versa. There are some places you enter to, even if you are happy, that your happiness is dragged out of you like a straw. True or false? True or false, people? True, true, true. Do you get what I'm saying? So it's not about saying, oh, let's throw it away. Oh, now anything, statue, whatever, let's throw it away. That's not the point. You must understand why it was made. You must understand why it was made, the purpose. And that's why, for example, Moses said there should not be any image of the Lord, the God. And that's why in between, in, in, in the tabernacle, when they made the Ark of the Covenant, in between the cherubim, there was just an empty space, which was a symbol of speed. In between the two cherubim, it was just an empty space. Letting you know that you can't put God in a box. You can't, you can't time down because God himself, his motion, his energy, his wind. Do you know? But that wind always has a certain kind of effect, a certain kind of manifestation. And one of them was when that Ark of Covenants was placed in a dark room, the room was illuminated without any kind of light. It gives you, it, it tells you of something. So all these sculptures, statues, songs, paintings, they have their significance. They have the purpose that they serve, but you must not confuse them with the spirit. You must not confuse them with the spirit. Even Jesus Christ, he said to Mary Magdalene, don't cling on to me. Don't, for I am yet to ascend to my father and your father, my God and your God. Don't cling on to me. Don't cling on to this form. Don't cling on to this vessel. That's why you cry and say, oh my God, I've lost my master because you're, you're, you're so fixated on this temporary vessel. 
you don't realize that I am wind. And this vessel is only temporary. You know? And that's why it was written that when they were in the upper room, a mighty rushing wind entered into the upper room. What was that mighty rushing wind? Speed. <laughs> Sorry, I love that word. <laughs> Speed. The spirit, the wind. In Hebrew, they call it the ruach. The wind. The energy that would causes things to move. And of course, when the wind blew, what happened? Motion. They started to speak. Next thing they jumped out. They started going out to do things. Yeah. Because wind, energy, always causes motion. Always causes action. And it's the wind that God is inviting us to know. It's the wind that God is inviting us to understand. The wind. The wind. One can't know Christ just physical. Actually, the Christ can never be known physically. Ever. Ever. The Christ is never recognized, experienced, felt physically. Nothing is really, nothing, even if I say I love you and I touch you. Yes, you feel the touch physically, but the experience, is it outward or is it inward? I'm asking. I'm asking. Hmm? Is it outward or is it inward? It's inward. Someone touches your hand and based on how they look, based on how they approach you, you feel so good at, wow, inside of yourself. On the flip side, someone can also touch your hand and you're like, what? don't touch me, this gentleman or this lady, you know? Because the experience is inward. We are first of all inward beings before we are outward beings. We are first of all wind. In Greek, the word for soul is psyche or sukos. And guess what psyche means? Who can guess? Who can guess? Who can guess what psyche means? Literally. No, it means wind. The literal meaning of psyche is wind. That's the literal meaning. In Hebrew, the word for soul is nefesh. Who can tell me the literal meaning of nefesh? Who can tell me? It's wind. It's wind. Nefesh is wind. Ruach is wind. Neshama is wind. Even Yehida is wind. Wind in different levels of manifestation. So in new terms, we call it mind, we say mind, we say thoughts. But the wise men of old know why they call it wind. Because just the way the wind blows, also our thoughts blow in the same way. And the same way wind can blow from north to south. Someone can sit down in, let me say, let me think of an example. Maybe someone like uh, Ariana Grande now. She would just stay where she is and she just talk something. Say, everyone wear this kind of clothes on Sunday. The next thing you see, everyone is wearing it. Yeah, because she released the wind from her mind. Are you getting what I'm saying? And that wind enters into people and causes them to move a certain kind of way. You know, Donald Trump sat in the White House the other time and he just subliminally said certain things. And what happened? Boom! We had thousands of people, hundreds of people at the, was it the White House they were or the, the Congress House? with sticks and stones, wind, 
Because as he spoke, the capital, as he spoke, a breeze blew out of his mouth. And he started to hit all those people. And just like boats at sea, they began to move. Because energy always causes something to move, wind. So when they say the mind is wind, it makes more sense. Than, because when you say the mind, mind, what does it tell you? It doesn't tell you anything. It doesn't teach you anything. It's just mind, you know? It's just mind. It doesn't, it doesn't teach anything. But when you say wind, and that's to tell you how deep the Greek language also was, and also the Greek people, before they fell. And that's why, you know, then the Hebrews, even though they hated it, but if they were going to convert their language into anything, they were rather Greek, because Greek had a lot of spiritual elements to the language. And there were a lot of words in Greek that were directly synonymous to certain words in Hebrew, but English is not so. You know, English is even Latin. Latin tries, but it's not so. You know, wind, wind. And that's who God is. And wind must always blow something. It must always blow something. It must always move you in a particular direction. It must always move you some kind of way. So how a person is moving, how a person is rolling, tells you of the kind of wind that is blowing there. Many times I've used this example of the parable of the Good Samaritan. There was a man who was robbed by the wayside. I must understand, spiritually speaking, when they talk about a person who is robbed, it's not just one who is robbed spiritually and physically, but also one who is robbed spiritually. And also one who, is, who has been spiritually injured. Because I can see you now, without even putting my hand on you, I can use my words and rob you of your godly virtue and injure your mind. True or false? True or false? Hmm? True or false? I can injure your mind just with my words. And now, just like that injured man on the wayside, you can be like that. And you enter into the church very broken, very negative, very toxic. And like the high priest of that day, I'll say, ah, this person that is talking like this, you bring too much negative energy into this place. Actually, we don't want you. That's exactly what Joshua was talking about then. The high priest rejected such. But the Samaritan, who was not even part of the Jewish religion. He was not even part of the tradition. He was, <coughs> the Samaritans were like what we call Muslims today. But yet, by virtue of what came out of him, Jesus Christ considered him to be more of a Jew than the high priest. Do you know what that means? Do you guys, do you guys understand who a high priest was in those days? A high priest. A high priest was greater than the king. A priest of all the priests, for him to say that a Samaritan who is not even part of your religion is greater than you. He invites every one of us to think very well. I was talking to, okay, it was even Ovia, I was talking to the other day. And I said, we'll say, oh, let's go and convert this person. Let's, uh, let, let's go and convert them. Convert them to what? You are lying. You're stealing. You're, you're still harboring envy, holding grudges every day. What are you converting them to? Guys, are you understanding what I'm saying? What are you converting them to? Oh, you think just because, oh, now they say, I denounce Allah and I now follow. What? Is it about the name you're calling about what is manifesting through you? Okay, now you say, oh, I follow Jesus. You abandon your own, come and follow my own. But when I come into your house, 
I see division. I see strife. I see gossip. I see lies in the house of God. I see spiritual laziness. What exactly are you converting them to? So that high horse that we as quote-unquote Christians have been sitting on, I think it's time we came down from it. I think it's time we came down because we speak with so much arrogance and so much superiority that we're, we're better, we'll show them the light. Oh, really? What light might that be? The light that made you curse your mother this afternoon? Speak to her that way? The light that you went to a supermarket, you knew very well that there are three items in your nylon that they forgot to charge and you left comfortably. So what light are you bringing? Because as far as anything is concerned, that is profound darkness. So what light are you showing? People, are we understanding what I'm saying? Is enough to get us to begin to think. Is enough to get us to begin to think. Because Christianity as a religion has sat on a high horse for a very long time. The same horse that the Pharisees sat on 2,000 years ago. There is nothing new under the sun. What was is what is and what will be. There is nothing new. There is nothing new. So it's not about calling yourself Christian. It's not even about even having sat with Jesus Christ physically. You know, they call it assistant Holy Spirit. <laughs> well, that is something, and you'll be very fortunate to have that experience. But if you have that experience of being in the physical presence of the master Jesus himself, but you know not the spirit, that relationship is of no value at the end of the day. In the grand scheme of things, there are many people who saw Jesus Christ physically, who touched him physically, that still died like men. -men. They died like men, men. They had no life within. They didn't partake or experience the internal resurrection of the soul. Being vivified into the life of the purity of the Holy Spirit. Life as Christ has it. So it's not about having known him physically. And like I said before, that's why Paul was just a mockery to that concept of being special because you knew Jesus Christ physically. He never met him physically, but they know Paul more than they know the disciples. I can't even name all the 12 disciples if I try. I'm sure I'll miss like one or two. But Paul, I know. Well, let me try. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, James, Thomas. Who else? I said Peter now. I, I Simon, who else? And just carried two more. I said Martin. Now. God don't catch you. God has caught you. <laughs> you want to shame me? God has planned for you. <laughs> wow, see, they've caught me. Said Luke was not a disciple. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. After that, yeah. Describe after. Yeah. Well, we tried, shall we try? But like 10. We tried. Eh? Eh? Nathan was Nathan a disciple? Eh? Was Nathan a disciple? But you get my point. See, now we're struggling to remember all of them. But if it's Paul, who doesn't know Paul? <laughs> Not saying that anyone is better than anyone, 
But that's the, that's the point God wanted to make. It's not about having known me physically. It's not about being from Israel. It's not about having been from Israel. It's about the spirit. The spirit, the spirit, the spirit. Say it again, say it. Spirit. <laughs> Someone say, please unmute your mic and say, Spirit. <laughs> spirit. Spirit. <laughs> Come on. Spirit. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> you see that you will forget this word now. <laughs> Spirit. <laughs> and that's why you have the word respiration. You see, it's the same thing. Respiration. Still spirit. You know? Well, Dan, it sounds Italian because Italian language is a child of the Latin language, right? Like I said, languages are like parents that have children and so on and so forth. So from Latin, we have um, Portuguese, Spanish, French, Italian, and there's about two or three others, you know? So yeah, it's a child of, of Latin. So they sound alike, you know? So the spirit, the spirit. So Paul never met him physically. But knowing him spiritually was enough because knowing him in the spirit, he have known the cause. You have known the very thing that, has, that was moving Jesus. He said, everything you see me do is what I see my father do. And now he gained access to that father. Come on. Of course, he'll move the way he did. You know? Because he knew the spirit. So like I said, this is a series that we're having and we're going to talk about a lot of things. What is the foundation that we're laying now? The spirit, the spirit, the spirit, the breath. This is the thing that ought to be known. The physical is but a manifestation. It's a messenger. It's a vessel. But there's something that is speaking within the vessel. Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection. My God. I remember those days, the first time I read it, I was shook. I was shook in my body. I said, who talks like this? I don't know how that experience when we were reading the Gospels, when you saw how Jesus Christ spoke. How did you feel reading it for the first time? I'm like, who is this man? Like, come on. Uh -uh, James Bond, don't do pass like this. <laughs> come on. Bad. I was like, this guy is a bad guy. I said, oh my God, where do you find this guy, bro? I was hyped. I said, whoa, who thought Pilate was shook it? Pilate was asking him questions. He was quiet. He said, you the man. Don't you know I have power over your life? He said, no man can have authority except my father. <laughs> Fear catch the guy. He, was, he couldn't believe it. <laughs> a whole governor of Rome. He was shocked. <laughs> he said, this man must be mad. Or this thing is saying is true. He said, I watched my hand. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not here anymore. He watched his hand. He said, please, 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 please. This guy is either mad or this thing is saying is true. And I don't want to take that chance. Remove me from this. <laughs> you know, I don't want no part of these people. No, 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 no. Don't count me out. <laughs> Although it doesn't mean he was still part of it because he could have stopped it. But anyway, he said, count me out, man. If this guy can talk like this, there's something he knows that I don't know. And at that thing, I don't want to find out. <laughs> it wasn't flesh and blood that was speaking. 
Because how can you say I'm the resurrection? But yet we saw your physical body die. So it had to be something else that was speaking. And that something else that was speaking is what quickened that mortal body out of the grave. It was spirit beyond the physical. Beyond the physical. It is written that Moses considered the reproach of Christ to be more valuable than the treasures of Egypt. Moses also knew the Christ. He knew the spirit. He knew the wind. That was what pushed him. It's not a new thing. It's not new. So even if you might be manifesting something, it's not just it has been before. It's not new. There have been many. But it has always been the same spirit. But it always manifests in different ways, different ways, different ways, different ways, different forms. But it has always been one spirit. And just Christ said, by their fruit shall you know them, by their fruit. For out of the abundance of one's heart, the mouth does speak. And that's why out of the abundance of the mind of God, he spoke and creation came into manifestation. So that tells you that you were in God's heart, were in God's mind. Because when he spoke, you came into being. So that, that invites us into something. There's this saying that, oh, not that I haven't ended one with the song, but he's imbalanced. Oh, it's all about you. If it's all about him, then why did he die for us? If we weren't part of, this, of, of the puzzle. I don't have anything wrong with the song. Don't get me wrong. I don't have anything wrong with the song. I'm just talking about the idea that it's only just Christ that's important and we don't have. It's a, it's, it's a dual thing. Because if it was just him that had importance, then why did he come and die for us? Why did he give his life? Why did he surrender himself? What was he lacking unto the man who sacrifices himself for the bride? Do you get what I'm saying? Do you guys get what I'm saying? Do you guys get what I'm saying? So it's not just about you having, God is not so narcissistic that he just wants to have only him on your mind and he will never think about you. We are the forefront of God's mind. We are the object of his love completely and totally. We are the focus of his love. The folk for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And like I explained, because when we talk about Jesus Christ being the son of God and we'll pack this as a series of quotes, we think of something physical again, and that's the problem. Because God is spirit. And if he's talking about his son, he's talking about something who is an offspring in spirit, who thinks the way he thinks, who acts the way he acts. So don't be surprised when the Bible talks about how he made him firstborn amongst many brethren. So there are others that are supposed to be like him, sons of God. For all of creation is an endless manifestation for the sons of the sons of God. The sons of God. And it's not about physicality. Are you guys understanding me? It might manifest physically, but it first begins as spirit because the physical transformation and transfiguration we saw in the life of Jesus was a byproduct of what had happened in spirit. The physical resurrection was an effect of the spiritual resurrection that first took place in him. So when we talk about him being the son of God, we think it's about the physical thing, but it's not. 
Because everything, everything came out of God. So by virtue, all of us are sons of God. Paul even said it in the book of, um, in the book of um, Acts chapter 17, verse 22. When he was speaking to the Romans and said that um, you are offsprings of God. But they were not Christians. They didn't even believe in God. But yes, he said you are offsprings of God. Because what? In him we live, move, and have our being. Everything that exists, exists in God. We all came out of the bosom of God. So if it's about physicality, then every one of us are sons of God. So there's something deeper that is being communicated when they talk about Jesus being the son of God. It means that, wow, out of the entire planet, out of everyone, there was a particular person who was able to embody my mind like no other. It's like being a professor in school. You have 10 students. All 10 of them are bright. All of them are geniuses in their own right. Just like Moses was a genius. Ezekiel was a genius. Noah was a genius. But it just happened to be that this particular gentleman man embodied me in a way that and I entrusted everything I had to him. Do, do we understand that? Do we understand that? Do we yeah. understand that? Yeah. Out of all the people upon the earth, there was one who embodied him like no other. Now you can imagine how precious that must have been for him. And yet because of you, he relinquished that one. He let him go. Not just that. That one was so much like his father that the heart by which the father let him go was the heart by which he let him, his own self go to show you how worn they were. So one might say, oh my God, what a wicked father. But the son was very happy to do it. As a matter of fact, he said, no one takes my life from me. No one, including God. No one takes my life from me. I lay down. And if I lay it down, I'll pick it up. Look at your dust. That's a son of God. A son of God. Eh? A what? A pekin. <laughs> That's a pekin. <laughs> Offspring. Offspring. And that's the same reality that God is trying to create out of every single one of us. It's not physical, because physically speaking, all of us are children of God. But like I said, we don't just exist on a physical level. We also exist on a psychological level. We also exist on a spiritual level. And now Christ is inviting every single one of us, because all of us, some of us grew up in church. Some of us have heard a lot of sermons. We've been in different communities. We've seen all kinds of things. But now we're in a time where God wants to invite us into that place of spirit, where we know him as spirit, face to face, not physical face now. How Moses saw him, we're not talking about physical eyes now. The eyes of the spirit, because God can't ever be seen with physical eyes. If you see him in physical eyes, you're seeing a vessel. Do you guys get my point? You're seeing a vessel. Because God cannot be cognized by flesh and blood, only by spirit. And that is the invitation that is being presented to us in this moment. So on that very beautiful note, we have come now to the end of this very beautiful lecture stroke conversation in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And the people of God shall say, Amen. 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 Amen.
Amen. Amen. So if we have questions, we can raise our hands now or use a few minutes to tackle questions. Uh, even thoughts and comments as well. It's open. But before then, Esther would like to say something. You want to say something? Okay, come on. Um, okay. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming to Am I? Okay. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much. Wow. Amazing. Thank you so much. And you. <laughs> it's not being easiest, but. Yes, thank you so much for, you know, for, um, I just wanted to, you know, just say a bit, I was writing something. Speaking, um, you know, the, um, the anointing that is Christ, right? Um, so <laughs> the anointing and, and literally what Mr. you know, um, means. Um, so I wrote three, I wrote um, some things here. So the first thing I wrote was the anointing of Moses, the anointing of kings, the stench of the anointing we call the fruits of the spirit, um, and then the anointing of Jesus, right? So the, the first thing being the anointing of Moses. So when we go, um, what is very interesting about that book is Exodus 30 takes through a journey of the preparation of the anointing that the Lord instructs Moses to create alongside like, you know, perfumers. Now the first part of the text, which is book of Exodus, and if you can look at it, um, if you can go through the text, first and the first part, right, um, these of gold for the temple, I'm sorry, for the, for the place where the priests would serve, right? And then as they, as they go further, they start to talk about the donations, the offerings and all of those things. You know, that's when uh, Moses now speaks about or gives the law of the tax, temple tax that now this text seems very random. Right, but if you chart me in the third, no, sorry, the fourth part of that text, because the text is divided into six parts. The fourth part of the text, which is still in the book of Exodus 13, it now speaks about the oil that they are to make for the priests. The fragrance or the, the oil that was to be used was mar, right? Um, and then when you get to the fifth part of the text, the incense that was to be used for the priests was frankincense. And then the Lord says, are you getting the picture? And then the Lord says, um, you know, this is going to be holy to me. And I really like how the Orthodox Jewish Bible, you know, it utilizes the word, but she actually uses kadosh. And so you're seeing a lot of analogies or annotations that are not necessarily theoretical, 
but then you're looking at it and you're seeing how it is painting a picture of if of what the anointed one or what the Christ would look like should he be a person. And so the first thing is the speaking of gold, right? That speaks of the it speaks of the purity, it speaks of the Lord. Um, and then you see my my being an incense that's about you. you know, embalm, embalming, um, basically that also speaks of death. And so when we're looking at even the life of the Mar is set apart as the priest, literally upon his anointing, he dies to his service and he resurrects into the service of the Lord, which is, which makes him a priest. And then you have the frankincense as well, you know? And so when we now go to the new Testament, we now see that the wise men upon their visitation to Jesus, bring the same thing that was written in the book of Exodus 30, the gold, the marriage, the frankincense. Literally speaking about this man that we see, we are not just coming to exalt him as Yeshua. We're not just coming to exalt him as the one that was promised. We actually have an understanding, which is what Paul was saying in the book of First Peter 1 verse 11, that um, the spirit of Christ that was in the prophet testified of that which he would experience. And so, and in, in, in all of these things that was happening, the angels longed to look into these things. So that means that the men of the Old Testament, um, contrary to what we believe in this time, had an understanding of what it meant to be the anointed one. And the birth of Yeshua was not just about the birth of a king that was coming to save the Jews, but it was about a physical representation of what the anointed one would look like. Jesus was set apart. Jesus was, um, he, he literally lived the life of death to the extent that he tells the disciples and everyone that seeks to follow him. If you must follow me, you must take up your cross. You must lose your sin, the Lord, and acknowledge him as Lord's gold. And then you also live and commit your life to a life of death, right? And then you commit your life to a life of, of, of sacrifice and consistently burning before the Lord. So this, um, the, the um, what they call it, the, par the parallels actually gives you such an insight or an understanding into what the Lord was thinking when he was thinking about the anointing and the anointed one, and which is the second thing. This, same, this anointing was now to be poured on priests, the prophets, the kings. It was to be done by the prophets for the priests and prophets. You'll see that the three of them were like um, analogies or representatives of, of God, right? So to... In different categories, representative of God. And then in that same cycle or in that circle, you're seeing gold frankincense and mar, you know, literally being displayed again. The king is the gold, the priest is the mar, the prophet is the frankincense. So you're seeing those two things being painted again, which gives you the picture of the anointed one now. So the prophet was to carry out these ones the first time. And then the next time that happened, you see that happening with David. And so historically, when you're reading about the anointing of the 
king or the priest. It is said that the room that could last for weeks after the king or the anointed one has left that place. And so when you're even speaking about that, that, that in itself speaks about the effect of being anointed, like what you were saying, that an anointed one or one that knows the anointed one or the one that is affiliated with the anointed one cannot be without signs and it cannot be without fruit because there is no way you can sell fruits from the anointing, right? And so when Paul was speaking about that in Romans 4, when he said that we won't offend you, you forgive him. And in forgiving him, you're heaping a pile of coal upon his head because you bring him to that place, acknowledges what he has done. And then he repents, you know, whether you're there or not. The point is you've left a fragrance, right, in, in, in that vicinity. And then he also speaks about that. He also speaks about that in um, First Corinthians, um, sec- sorry, Second Corinthians 12, um, 2 verse 15, when he says that for we are to God, the sweet aroma of Christ among those who are being saved um, and those who are perishing and to the ones um, to the one we are an order of death and life and who is qualified for such a task. But the point or the, the emphasis here is when it says that we are a sweet aroma of Christ before the Lord, again, it brings in that aroma, which is the, the fragrance, the smell, and associates it with the anointing. So the anointing is not without. So one cannot know the anointing. But one cannot be affiliated with the anointed one without, you know, exiting or, you know, bearing the fruits or the fragrance that is. We now journeys in the New Testament to see the life of Jesus. We now see that it's basically everything that you're saying that it wasn't just about the man. You know, there was a being that he was manifesting, you know, or a reality that he was exemplifying. And so even in the name, it was not a surname. It was not an addition. It was not any of these things. It was a reality. So it's like when we say Jesus, the anointed one, that is the one that is a sweet smelling fragrance before the Lord. And to those that are dying, the aroma of demise, right? And so one can also say, ah, Job um, or Jonathan the liar, or this one the cripple. You know, all of this is like bringing in the adjectives for a noun. So the, the Christ in itself is more a title for Christ. And then the, the final thing that I... I, 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 when, when, when Paul now goes ahead to describe, he now goes ahead to describe this Christ as the force that holds all of creation together. And so literally he says that, first of all, he's the force that holds all of creation together. And through him, all things were created. Again, what you're saying about the wheel in the wheel. For him, in this human being, or is he talking about an essence? Or is he talking about it?
awesome, awesome. That was so good. <laughs> that was so, so good. Awesome. Thank you so much, Esther. Bye-bye. <laughs> Come on, girl. <laughs> that was so good. That was so good. I mean, just, isn't it beautiful how the Bible just comes together? Like, look at that, that idea of like gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and see how that narrative had been playing out long before um, the three wise men came to Jesus Christ. And it just shows you that the people at that time who were reading that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that gold, frankincense, and myrrh will have meant so much more to them then than it will mean to us now because they, they really knew their scriptures. You know, it's, it's, it's so beautiful, man. Like, wow. Ah, hallelujah, people. Hallelujah. Thanks be to Jesus. <laughs> hallelujah. All right, people. Let's get some questions. Um, let's get some questions before we, we call it a night. Let's get some questions in. Okay, Ovia, do you have a question? Uh, yes, I do. Um, hello, can you hear me? Wait, I, I don't think I can hear you. Or maybe it's my, it's on my end. Can you guys hear Ovio? It's just. Um, can you hear me now? We can. Hello. Hear? Oh, okay. It, it might be on my side. Oh, okay, that's fine. Okay. Let me see what it might be. Mm. Okay, I've seen it. Okay, I've seen it. Okay, Ovio, speak now. Let me see if I can hear you. Uh -huh. I can hear you now. Um, so my question is, um, hmm. and I hope I'm not jumping the gun because I know we still have many classes ahead. But yeah. in trying to understand Christ and understand hmm. either him as the, 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 the course, the, the spirit, you know, that sponsors the action, you know. Um, so I, I, how do I understand that in light of the Holy Spirit and, and him in the sense that, you know, Christ was not birthed as a normal human being. He was birthed from the Spirit. Uh, we mentioned that, uh, so it, it was Christ just a, a normal person that just was, you know, just perfectly, um, expressed the fullness of the will of God or flesh as an extension of himself that had the understanding of the coming to die for the cost and for the sin of the world. Um, so I, I'm, I'm trying to understand it in light of, you know, of that. Everything that was How said. do we differentiate? Because at, at the Yes, and everything I was said, because the Holy Spirit came as a dove um, upon his head, you know, so it's kind of complicated in that sense, in my own understanding. So I, I don't know if you can be brought in on those, those things to give a bit more clarity. Awesome. I mean, like you said, you know, there's going to be a lot more um, conversation on this. This is just the first part of the series. And um, this very question you asked is something that is really going to, I mean, like today, for example, I initially planned to really settle on the Mashiach and talk about the anointing and talk about it, all of that. But once I sensed where the Holy Spirit was going, if you remember in the beginning, I was talking about Mashiach. I was actually going very much in that direction, but I saw where the Holy Spirit was going and I just decided to just camp there. 
and just establish that foundation, you know, before then moving into, into other things. But I'd like to say something very, very pertinent. Very, very pertinent. The moment we begin to look at Jesus, the, the whole point of what Jesus Christ came to do is to show you who or what a man looks like. And when we talk about a man, we're talking about one who lives his life in communion and harmony with the Father. And he came to show the world what a real man looks like. Nothing more, nothing less. So anyone who looks less than Jesus Christ at his fullness is actually less than the human being. I want that to sink in our hearts very well. Because it's written, I think it was in Timothy, that it's a, it's a man that is seated at the right hand of God. A man, right? Even as he is in the highest, he's still a man because that's man's position. So any kind of mindset that tries to separate us and say he's more special, he's more this, he's more that, then we are missing the point he came to teach us. If there's any difference between us and Christ, it's the same difference between a five-year-old and a 65-year-old. A five-year-old has the potential to be 65. That the 65 has actualized that potential more than the five-year-old does not mean that two different people. Does that make sense? They're still both human beings. It just happens to be that one is much more evolved, one is much more advanced, one is much more Christ-conscious than the other person. But they're both human beings. That you see a tree stump that only one leaf has come out, and you see one that is a 50-foot-tall tree, doesn't mean that one is more special than the other. One just happens to have unfolded the same planting than the other one. Because the same word, the same spirit, the same breath, the same seed that is in Christ Jesus has also been given to us. And Paul did say, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Because it's even written in, in the book of Luke chapter 4, verse 18. I'm going to post it for us here. I'm going to post that for us here. One second. One second. It says, like I said, I was going to talk about the anointing, the Mashiach today, but it's a whole, it's a very broad stuff that I don't want to just start halfway and not complete, but I'll just start by saying, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus Christ said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Look at the word, anointed me. The word Mashiach means the one who is anointed. And what is the anointing? In the Old Testament, it was symbolized as oil. But that oil was a symbol for the spirit of God, the seal of the Holy Spirit. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Who are the poor? Those who are point, point spirit, spiritually poor, who are void of the virtues of God, who lack the joys of the spirit, the patience, the compassion, which is the wealth of the Holy Ghost. He said, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. What kind of captives are we talking about? There's some of us here, even at this time of our lives, some of us are 25, some of us are 35, some of us are 45, and we're still imprisoned by certain words people said to us at 12. Captivity is not always physical. Actually, the greatest captivity is the one that you can't see with the physical eyes. And these are the things he came to set people free from. And it was as a result of the anointing that came upon him. Understand, it was the anointing. And that dove is a symbol of the anointing. 
the wind also that blew in the upper room is another symbol of the dove. It's the same wind that we're talking about because the dove is a flying creature, is a wind. That's also a symbol of the ruach. Are you getting what I'm saying? The wind as well is the ruach that blew in the upper room like a whirlwind, you know? And that is what rested upon him. And if he's special in any way, he's special because he was a man that lived a life in harmony with his father. And he kept on saying, he kept on saying that if I testify of myself alone, it's not true. So that tells you that separated from his father, he's nothing. Separated from the father and no one is anything because God is what completes us. Who can bring that scripture for me when he said that if I testify of myself, it's not true. But it's true because two testify. Someone posed that for me. He said it by himself that if I testify alone. So every time Jesus Christ was saying I, 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 I want you to understand that that I was not an I that was, that, that was, that, that was excluding his father. It was an I that was including his father. It was a united I. It was a holistic I. An eye of union, of oneness, of wholeness. Now that is what made him special. And that same specialness is what he's inviting us to experience. He's special because he lived a life in union with his father. The moment there's disconnection, death comes into activity. And that's what he's trying to get us all to see. So that idea of, oh, he's different, we're not, that's actually what has kept us from believing that the life that he has we can also have it. Are you guys getting my point? Are you guys getting my point? Because you look at Jesus Christ as though he was some alien that is impossible for me to be like that. Whereas he's actually a man, just like every one of us. I think the problem is that because of the fallen state that we've been in for so long, when we hear the word man, we look at it in a depreciated state and we look at man as something worthless. Ah! He said, how can it be a man like me? Man is worthless. That mindset is because of the fall. Because it is written that who is man that you are mindful of him? Are you guys getting what I'm saying? Who is man that you are mindful of him? So it happens to be, it happens to be that it is us who have lost the value of our existence, the value of our being. Do you know what it means for someone to relinquish their life to save someone else? Can that person be worthless? That should invite you to know something. When you see an armored van with security all over it, for them to protect it like that tells you that this thing is of great value. If you try and rob the Bank of America, the whole FBI, everything is upon you. Why? Because this is something valuable. So if God goes out of his way so much for man, it tells us that Maybe we don't know how valuable we actually are. And it's not from a place of arrogance or conceitedness, but it's from a place of genuine realization of exactly who you are. And that's what Christ came to do for us, to let us know who we are. What, and that's why Christ is called our mirror, because it's, we have really forgotten what we actually look like. And he appeared to remind us of our genuine identity as sons of God. The Christ is the firstborn, but he's the firstborn amongst many brethren. But we must understand that when we talk of the Christ, we're not talking of flesh and blood, we're talking about spirit. 
And that's why before Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, he said to Mary Magdalene, don't cling on to me because I'm yet to ascend to my father and your father, my God and your God. Letting her know that the same God that has made me like this, you also have access to him. He's also your God. He's also my God as well. Don't think I am the one. Yes, I am the one because of union. But separated, I'm nothing. And that's what he was trying to get Mary Magdalene to see. And it's exactly what he's trying to get every one of us to see as well. Everything that man of Galilee was and manifested was as a result of his union, of his divine matrimony to the Father. And that same invitation, that same access that made him everything he is, is what he is now giving to us in this time. So that's what I'll respond to your question. And I hope in between all these words and answer, you have grasped something. Obie, the rest of us, do we understand? Yeah. You understand? You understand? So um, thank you, thank you very much for you know just wanting to say that the Holy Spirit. I don't know if anyone can hear me properly. Okay, the Holy Spirit is um is the witness of who the Father is, and and. the witness of who the father is and the holy spirit being sent to us and i think that the first thing is not to separate them because in separating them the, the, in fact the principle of separation comes from our understanding as human beings there's always the need to separate and dissect and you know all of those things and why it is for understanding when one looks at the godhead right it is necessary to understand that though they might be expressed in various forms they are one and the same thing. That's what you're saying. Like that one is the union. There is a unity in the oneness of the Godhead. So the Godhead is one of the, the Godhead is one and the same thing, but expressed in verse forms. The, the Father is source. The Son is the image or the what well, is the offspring of the source. The spirit is the witness of who the Father is and what he desires the Son to be. Speaking about the Holy Spirit, in the book of John, when he was saying that it's necessary that I leave so that the one that was and teach you things, right? He will teach you. So basically, the Spirit is the one that serves as witness or serves as a living testament we often should look like without the spirit we can't know what it look like it is the spirit that enables us to know christ beyond the flesh and know him and beyond the flesh to see him as spirit and being 
Now, the Holy Spirit is the witness. He's the one that testifies, and he's the one that nurtures us from the point of acknowledging or realizing or coming into the consciousness like the matrix. Is the one that brings us from that point of awareness of the Christ and nurtures us through the journey. Because other than him, outside of him, we can't really know what the sun should look like and how the sun should be like. So the sun is, um, you know, the sun and spirit are one, but then they carry out different um, functions. As the sun, we know or we see the image, but in order for us to be able to see the image, right? We need the spirit to teach us. So it's like everything that you're seeing, the ruach, the breath, the wind, it is the ruach that paints a vivid picture of what the offspring of the source should look like. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. And yeah, you know, just like she said, you can't, is that mindset of separation, you know, that. Um, Ishama, can you post that scripture if, you, if, you, if you're able to? That idea of separating things, you know, separating the Father from the Son, from the Holy Spirit, because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, like said, even God lives by something. God is not an unprincipled being. He lives by something. There's something that is, he's the effect and the cause at the same time. So everything that he is, there's something that is making him to be the way he is. And that thing that is even moving the Father is the spirit of the father, is the ruach, is the energy. So when we say the energy of God, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is still the same father we're talking about, it's still the same son. Because if I say, um, um, for example, they say, in the spirit of love, can you go out and give bread to those people? You know, it talks about a, how can I explain it, you know? Huh? It talks about, so for example, maybe there's a group of people who are very kind and they are generous and everything. And they say, go in the same spirit that we have gone in. So if you go in the same spirit that another person works with, you are exactly that person, except maybe in a different manifestation of form, but you are still that person regardless. So there's really no difference. And when Jesus Christ said, it's better for you that I go, that I might send another helper unto you, he was still talking about himself. The one that must go was the physical that one that they can see with flesh and blood that will not enable them to know God as spirit, to know the very same thing that brought him to that point. Assuming, he, like Paul, even Paul himself, there were times he had to leave churches that he planted because if he stays there too long, they will get to, what's the word? They will idolize him and they become lethargic because if you're around, what's the need of me growing? That's why if you're, as a parent, it gets to a point where you start to re restrict what you give to your child. Because so long as you're always present and always present, they won't feel the need for them to grow by themselves, you know? And that's why Jesus Christ had to depart so that they don't idolize his physical form, which was going to happen without, even Paul, they were going to idolize Paul's physical form, you know? And the moment that happens, because he's so, because of course he has such a massive personality, when someone like that is around you, you won't feel the need to cultivate your own relationship with God, which is actually what saves you. It's not by knowing him outside, but knowing him within. So when he said, I will send another helper, he was still talking about himself because all throughout the Bible, see Paul talking about the spirit of Christ, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of Christ, or do you say the Holy Spirit is the same thing? Because the same spirit that resurrected him from the dead, that enabled him to do everything that he did, was also made available to the disciples because it's that spirit that saves. So that same spirit 
is Christ. That same spirit is the Father. You can't really separate it. Do you guys understand? Someone posted a scripture. Do you guys understand? Yes, we do. Yeah? Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. 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 Okay, someone posted a scripture, John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 68. So we can just look through that. It talks about this. It says, this is he who came through water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and blood. It is the Holy Spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. He is the essence and the origin of truth itself. For there are three witnesses, the spirit and the water and the blood. This one is easy. Ah, this scripture we want this to us. This will take us into a different dimension. <laughs> but it has to do with the testimony, the testament of, of, of the Father, you know, bears witness. So, yeah, um, I think someone has had their hand raised. I think it was Ishama. Ishama, was it you? Or was it Dakwa? I think it was Dakwa. Okay, go ahead with your question, Ishama. Dakwa, I think your hand was raised as well. Um, okay. Esther already answered my question. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, uh, yes, this is my second question. Yes. Okay. I, I wanted the idea of the blood, the water, but yeah. Oh, and also, um, if I wrap my head around what you were saying, so um, where, where I wrote it out. Yes. So um, yes, it, I was thinking about like why the Holy, why Jesus in John, he kept saying that, um, you know the Spirit, like he will, he will say like the spirit that I'm sending, they always say, you know, the spirit, is it because the spirit is Christ? Yes. The spirit is Christ. That's, that's essentially what we're explaining throughout this conversation tonight, okay. that Christ is first and foremost spirit. Well, the challenge is most of the time when we say Christ, the first thing we think about is a man of flesh and blood. But that man of flesh and blood is a manifestation of a spirit. When he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't enter the kingdom of God. He wasn't inviting people into cannibalism. He wasn't talking about his physical flesh being eaten, nor his physical blood being drunk. He was talking about something spiritual. And in spirit, we do eat his flesh and we do drink his blood. Like we've talked before, the flesh of Christ talks about his word. And that is the nourishment for the soul of everyone. And the blood is a symbol of the life that he lives by. Introducing us to the life that he lives by. He shares his very life with us. The life that God gave to him, he shares it with us. And that's what the blood represents. And that's why the Bible talks about how the life of a man is in his blood. So spiritually speaking, yes, we eat his flesh and we drink his blood. But not physically. Because Christ is first and foremost spirit. Can he manifest in the physical world? Yes. 
But Christ is first and foremost spirit. Anything physical is an effect. Anything spiritual is the cause. In a, in a nutshell, if I would say. Does that make sense to you? Yes, it does. Thank you huh? so much. All right. Yes. You're welcome. You're welcome. You said the question was in the chat box. Let me see if I can find it. Let me see if I can find it. So that was said, you mentioned how Christ said his life cannot be taken away from him. And you even said God inclusive. But I remember the certain scripture where he prayed to God for the cup to be passed over him. And I'd like to get clarity on it. So that scripture I brought up when I talked about how he said, no one takes my life from me. This means that even though God has instructed me to lay my life down, yes, I've heard God's instruction, but I've also understood the spirit behind the instruction that I have now made the decision my own. Yes, it might have come from God, but I understand the heart and the spirit behind the instruction that I am no longer holding God responsible for my actions. I'm taking responsibility for them myself. So as I'm going to the cross, yes, God did tell me that I should go to the cross, but I'm not just going because God said, I'm going because I can see what he has seen to tell me, I want you to go in that direction. Now I have partnered with him in his vision. I don't know if that makes sense to us, you know? And in the garden of Gethsemane, when he said, let this cup pass away from me, but not my will, but yours. Even in that moment, he's saying, he's saying that Lord, my father, as I'm here right now, I have a will of my own. I am an independent entity from you. You and I are actually two distinct people. Understand something. There's a difference, and we can write it down. There's a difference between distinction and separation. In the kingdom of God, distinction doesn't mean separation. There can be distinction and unity. Paul and Apollos were distinct, but they were one. And that's the kingdom of God. You can have two distinct entities that are still united that are still one. So the father and the son are two distinct entities, but they are still one regardless. But nonetheless, they are two distinct entities. So in this time, for us to understand it very well, there are times where we will talk about their oneness and there are times where we will talk about their distinction. So in this moment, we're talking about the distinction so we can understand it very well. He said, Father, let this cup pass away from me, but not my will, but yours. In that moment, he's letting God and even us know that I have a will independent from my father. I can choose not to go this way. I have the capacity to take a different destiny. But that capacity, I am laying it down at your feet to go in the path that you laid for me. So in that moment, exactly that where you get it, God's will became his own. Literally, he now adopted God's will he now became an embodiment of God's will. That's why God said about David, a man that is after my heart. God's will literally became his own. Like I spoke about in a friendship session, God's burden became his own. 
He had so walked with God. He had so partnered with God that God's joys became his joys. God's sorrows became his sorrows. God's excitements became his, became his excitement. Their will merged and became one. The two shall become one flesh. And how did how how Paul say it? The two shall become one spirit. How does, how does scripture go? Maybe someone can post it for us. I talked about the two. Hmm? Yeah, what Paul talked about in Corinthians when he talked about how a man shall leave his mother and father and the two shall be, shall be joined and become one flesh. But he who is joined to the spirit of the Lord becomes one spirit. So literally, he became one spirit with God that you can't separate them. But that you can't separate them does not mean that they are not distinct. For example, wow, thank you, Jesus. Water has a chemical um, identification known as H2O. H2O means two parts of hydrogen, one part of oxygen. But when we see water, water is one entity, isn't it? But the fact that it's one entity does not mean that it's not made up of two separate elements, two distinct elements. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? That's why you have orange juice. In the orange juice, you have the orange fruit and you have water. But in that moment, you can't separate them. But that you can't separate them does not mean that they're not two distinct entities. And that's why if you heat up orange juice long enough, the water will evaporate and you have the burnt orange in your pan to tell you that actually there are two distinct entities present. You know? So that's what Christ was trying to get us to understand. That yes, I might submit myself, but we must understand that I'm submitting myself. Because if there was not, if there wasn't, because you know this idea of you know, we try to throw away the humanity of Jesus and just say he's just Christ, he's God, but why should he submit anything? If he wasn't a man, why will he submit? Why will he have to learn obedience? Why will he have to go through all those things? So that shows that there was a humanity as well that had to be put under subjection. There was a humanity that had to choose God. And that's actually what made him great. You know, a man that reached that height. That's the greatness. And that's the same thing that's been invited to us. So Jesus did have a will that was separate from God, but he, al he allowed that will to be subject to the will of God. Does that make sense, everyone? And understand that subjection, awesome. That subjection came as a result of him understanding the heart of the Father. When we're young, we never like to brush our teeth. Well, I know for sure I never like to brush my teeth. I hated that whatever, whatever in the mouth. I hated it so much, right? I didn't understand the spirit behind that action. I thought they were punishing me. But as I got older, as revelation came, I understood the value of brushing my teeth. I don't want anyone to say to me, oh, your mouth is smelling. I understood the value of it. Well, the hygiene came later. All I knew was that I didn't want people to say my mouth is smelling. <laughs> you know, I didn't know about hygiene until much later, but nonetheless, the moment I understood the heart behind my parents brushing my teeth, their will became my will because I have not bought into their vision because I cannot see what they are seeing. That is what happened with Christ. And that's the same thing that God wants to happen with us. Like I've said many times, God isn't looking for robots. He's not looking for yes men, people who just agree without understanding. God is looking for people who will begin to see as he sees, understand as he understands, know as he knows. And say yes, because they get the point. 
Does that make sense to us, people? Does that make sense to us? You know? Yes, yes. Awesome. 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 So on that very beautiful note, the first part of our series comes to a very beautiful end. By the grace of the most high God. And um, yeah, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. How many of us had a good time? How many of us had a good time today? How many of us, how many of us had an encounter with God in this time? How many of us did so? How many of us did so? Dad said spirit. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 So we just thank God for such a time in his presence and meeting us and teaching us and bringing his word to us. And glory be to God. So we continue next week. We're going to have a BSB session next Friday. So guys, from now on, just book your Friday nights at 8 p.m. It's going to be lit. (laughs) So get ready. Every Friday, back to back, we're getting it in, you know. (laughs) We're back in full swing. So next Friday, get ready. Rabbi S is coming into the town, you know. So get your, see, you need to put glue on your head, you know, because all this week that you have, it's just, you know, so that when the Yankee starts to happen, you know what I'm saying? So just get your glue ready. <laughs> so yes, next week, Friday, look forward to it. And also look forward to the study guide that is going to accompany this session, which will be released in a couple of days. And um, yeah, we move. We move people. Amen. Amen. So let us close with a prayer right now. Ah, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we give you praise. We give you praise. We lift you up high, oh Jesus. I would say thank you for just visiting us in this time. Thank you for communicating your word unto us, Father. Thank you for bringing your enlightenment. Thank you for the charge that you brought to our souls. Thank you for the words of inspiration and deliverance, oh God. Thank you for the works of transformation that you're beginning in our hearts. As we carry on this journey, oh Jesus, as we carry on this journey, Father, be with us. Cause us to see as you see, to feel as you feel, and to experience as you experience. In the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we all depart right now to our various places, Father, be with us. And may our nights end in peace and tranquility. And for those of us who are in a part of the world where our day is just beginning, May our day begin in peace and tranquility. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. From Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, people. I wish you all a very, very good evening. God bless you. Until next time now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. God bless you. Bye. Good night, everyone.